This should be a simple in and out. You'll enter the city with a 32-hour window. Whatever zombies are still walking should be no problem for a gang of tough hombres such as yourselves. You'll reach the casino in less than two hours. The safe beneath the South Tower Gomorrah. Then, all you have to do is load the money on the helicopter and fly off into the sunset. Easy peasy, Japanesey. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's review of Army of the Dead. Power to control your own zombie army. That's the ultimate WMD. Hosted by Arnie. 100% I'm in, yeah. Jacob. So weird as ever. And Stuart. You're out. I didn't say that. You're in? I didn't say that either. But you're intrigued. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Oh, sure, we hope you enjoy the show. Are you ready, boy? A one, two, three, four. Vegas! Kapow! Today, we're discussing Army of the Dead, starring Dave Bautista, Ella Purnell, Amari Hardwick, Anna De La Riguera, Theo Rossi, directed by Zack Snyder. This is the now-playing co-host who loves a goddamn lobster roll, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Jacob of the Dead 420. Welcome back to Zack Snyder's Deadverse, right? I mean, my favorite movie of his, his first big film, Dawn of the Dead. Finally going back to his roots. Warner Brothers doesn't want him making any more 300 films. Warner Brothers doesn't want him making any more superhero films. He's going back, right? We're getting another Romero film here. I, you know what? I thought that's what it was when it originally popped up. I had almost no awareness of this movie. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. And I assumed that this was Zack Snyder, yeah, crossing off bucket list, kind of like, I didn't get to finish that Romero thing. And God knows he could make a better one than that Day of the Dead that we had to suffer through. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I kept writing down Army of Darkness, Army of the Living Dead. <laughs> like, this is an original. The surprise was when I sat down to watch this yesterday, uh, it was disconnected from Romero or anything else. He just likes taking the name. You know, and I wouldn't blame him because if you mistook this as being part of his Dawn of the Dead series, why wouldn't you be happier for that? Because it might bring people in. But Army of the Dead, that's not the right title for this. This should be like Heist of the Dead. Yeah, I was also confused because I assumed it would be on a battlefield. Again, didn't know anything about this. The all, all that I knew was it was Zack Snyder's, and that was, like, I think even part of the title. We've been getting a lot of him lately. Just like Justice League, it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. We're two months past the Justice League re-edit, and, you know, I'm just going to put it out there just to reorient, make sure everyone knows I'm neither fan nor foe. My biggest complaint really is that he seems like an imitator and not an innovator. And so I was encouraged to think, oh, okay, he's not going to do Frank Miller. He's not going to do George Romero. This is his some concept that he's had for 15 years. I guess it was inspired while he was making Dawn of the Dead, but something he's wanted to do. And all right, let's see him be original. I'm up for that. 
Yeah, there is a little half-hour making-of documentary on Netflix for this film. I watched that after I watched the film, and you're right, this is going to be original because he talked nothing but about all the groundbreaking zombie ideas he has, and it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen before. So, yes, original zombie take. Okay, conceptually, I'm up for that. I am too. I agree with you, Stuart. I'm... I usually look at Zack Snyder's name with a little bit of trepidation because I'm always a little let down by him except for that Dawn of the Dead. You absolutely love that Dawn of the Dead, but maybe that is love of James Gunn, right? Because he wrote that script. And I didn't even know who James Gunn was when I saw it, too. You know, that's like, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, well, James Gunn was doing that. But I didn't know when that movie came out and I fell in love with it that James Gunn did it. But the thing is, if you look at all the Zack Snyder we've reviewed, I've recommended most of it. So I look at him with a little bit of skepticism, and I think he's a little overwrought. I think he over-CGs sometimes, but I've recommended more on Now Playing than I haven't. Mainly because we haven't gotten to Sucker Punch and whatever that Owls thing is, or 300. That Owl movie may be his best. I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be slavishly devoted to things and making faithful adaptations of other people's work. And if you like that other stuff, if you like that Owl book, you'd probably love that movie would be my guess. I just have no need for that. But I was excited to see him get back to the zombie genre. And you have to admit, Zack Snyder's been playing up the Warner Brothers feud. Warner Brothers isn't saying anything about it, but he's like, Warner Brothers hates me. Warner Brothers doesn't want to do more 300. Warner Brothers was antagonistic during the Justice League. Once to do more 300, they all died. That was like a suicide thing. Frank Miller wrote a sequel. Well, they did make a sequel movie. I don't, again, no interest, but okay. He wanted to do a third one recently, and they said no. I didn't know that. Okay, sure. So... I think he's actually leveraging the Restore the Snyderverse fans as a way of going, yeah, Warner hates me. Hey, Netflix likes me. Come see me on Netflix. And it should be said, I think it is a philosophy of Netflix. Part of the way they've been able to court major artistic talent. <laughs> Are you calling Snyder major artistic talent? I would call him A-list. I mean, I do think he's made giant budget movies, and I think that he is a big get if he's making something original for your streaming platform. Usually these streaming platforms go around and picking up trash. Whatever wasn't good enough to come out, they buy that in some market and that's what they stream. But for the things that they've developed, the fact that they've been able to work with Alfonso Cuaron or Martin Scorsese or David Fincher, that seems to be like, we will greenlight the thing that you wanted to do that those studios wouldn't let you. And sometimes I think those studios have a point. I didn't like Mank. But, you know, I recognize how appealing it is for these directors to say, wow, I can revive my dream project, my baby. This was something they wouldn't let me do at the budget I wanted, you know, 12 years ago. Netflix will let you do that because Netflix wants to be better than the studio, more artist friendly. And I guess they've been trying to make this film since 2007? Right. Yeah, again, from what I understand, Zack Snyder, like, in making Dawn of the Dead, had such a good time, was thinking, like, other concepts that you could use for zombies. And I'll say this, too. I do feel like the zombie genre could use a reboot or an elevation. Yeah, he talked a lot about where it was when he left it in 2004 and feeling like in 2020, we want to see something new. That's very true. I feel like the genre has largely been 
become a joke. Is The Walking Dead still going? Yeah, but it is Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, there's the spinoff and other Z Nation and what. I it- know the comic book The Walking Dead finally ended, so yeah, the, the zombie thing is. It feels like it faded out a few years ago, and it's yeah, you got to do something new if you're gonna bring these creatures back. A lot of it was jokes. Again, Zombie Land, Shaun of the Dead, Pride and Prejudice, and Zombies. It worked. Yeah, that self awareness. I I think it made it feel fresh again. Yeah, but like, who's going to take it to the next level? I th- also think of Zack Snyder as being pretentious. Go watch that documentary. Very pretentious, and he's talking about a zombie film. Well, I I also mean that, like, he wants to get something more out of comic book entertainment or pulp than what normally might be peddled. You know, like, he doesn't want to just make slop. He really does have some ambition to make art. And so I want to believe him when he says that it's been, you know, 15 years and it's time to elevate. Hell yeah. And I love the idea of going to Vegas. When I actually found out this was, and we're talking about minutes before I hit play, I was like, oh, good. I really never thought about like uh, an Ocean's Eleven heist movie. You, you don't, you really don't watch trailers, do you, Stuart? I don't anymore. <laughs> I've given it up. I actually can't even stand it. I've seen so many trailers in my life and they're all like cut the same way that I literally just, I'll see you when, when you're ready to be shown. I don't want a trailer ever. Because, yeah, I I had no idea what this movie was when it showed up on the schedule. I'm like, Army of the Dead, huh? And you're like, yeah, new Zack Snyder. I had to see the trailer. I I just had to get a sense of what this was. Especially, yeah, straight to Netflix, they do get those prestige directors from time to time. I've watched a lot of direct to Netflix, though, stuff that they produce. Not always the greatest. Not always, you know, the Irishman. Right, and I didn't like the Irishman. Again, I wanted to say, sometimes in indulging a director, you don't do them any favors. So I can see why people... People would go with Netflix rather than their home studio, but I don't know that that's the best place to get the project made in a way that people are going to like. Or get it seen. I was actually kind of mad because this was released in theaters last week. Very limited from what I read, though. Mostly Cinemarks. It was in both AMCs near me. Okay. I mean, what else are they going to show, right? So... I went to see Saw last weekend with Jacob and Marjorie, and so this weekend I'm like, you know, it's a zombie movie, Zack Snyder, say what I will about him, he has big vision, right? He usually tries to do the graphics in such a way, the bigger you can see it, the better. I was going to go see this in theaters Friday night, except AMC decided to not show this and instead show Scoob. When did Scoob come out? A year ago. (laughs) Scoob's not streaming, I don't think. (laughs) Maybe that's why they would want to show that one. I think that's what it is, is they're just like, you have this on Netflix, we will not have it on our screens. We'd rather make no money from Scoob than no money from Army of the Dead. Or maybe literally that was the film in the projector when they like (laughs) turned all the power off and said we're closed until COVID is over. So they kicked back on the lights and said, what is this running? Okay, that Scoob it is. Okay, Raggy, let's roll. And I was excited. I heard this described as Ocean's Eleven meets Dawn of the Dead. I expected a fun time, right? I mean, I would think of Dawn of the Dead. It had its serious moments. It certainly had its funny moments. Then I think of Ocean's Eleven. That's so lighthearted. I'm coming in thinking, this is going to be a feel-good zombie film. I don't think this is attempting to be a feel-good zombie film. It turns out to be far more dark and serious than I thought it would be. You think that this is uh, grim? 
Yeah, I do. I, I don't find it has any of the patter or the repartee or anything of an Ocean's Eleven film. I mean, I'm picturing Pitt, Clooney, and Damon walking into a zombie movie on accident, kind of from Dusk Till Dawn style when Clooney did just about that. I'm expecting a real Ocean's Eleven type feel of just mirth. This is not mirth. And I will say with, with kind of those expectations of Ocean's Eleven, I, I think Ocean's Eleven has a certain vibe. And, and Snyder's Dawn of the Dead didn't feel like, yeah, a, a big nihilistic slog fest. Like there, there's some fun in that. So I thought, you know, and he's a stylish director. So yeah, you, you bring kind of that that snappy dialogue and, and that, that fun action from Ocean's Eleven and combine it with his zombie stuff. Like I, I was expecting a, a fun 105 minute film. Uh, yes, I thought that's where we were headed here. Like, it's really long. There will be no release the Snyder Cut hashtag for this. This <laughs> is the Snyder Cut. I think Netflix gave them this edit just so they don't have to deal with that hashtag. But, but be that as it may, even though you might look at a two and a half hour movie as a slog, I do believe the intent was exactly that, Arnie. I think maybe the, the difference is there's not the star power that you're going to see in those Soderbergh movies. You're not going to have A-list actors. It seems like Snyder got all of his B and C stringers that never have had a moment in the spotlight and said, this one is for us. Are you kidding me? Dieter apparently is a huge German actor. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I would say that 50% of these people I've never seen before and the other 50% have never been the major lead attraction. Yeah, I I knew Dave Bautista and then I looked everyone up and I'm like, okay, I've seen that movie. Don't remember them in it. So yes, I agree. 50% I have seen in movies. I don't recollect them at all. Oh, I'm the same way. I'm like Dave Bautista and the rest are here on Army of the Dead. It's like, I mean, there was this big news article that Chris D'Elia was in this movie. I'm like, who's Chris D'Elia? I don't... Oh, he, he's a sexual predator that tried to hook up with, or, or perhaps allegedly did. The court case hasn't happened. We're not supposed to give out judgment. But yeah, he's dealing with uh, allegations of hooking up with underage girls. Okay, well, I've never heard of him. He's got three specials on Netflix. Apparently a pretty notable comedian. I mean, I know him as a stand-up, but I don't like his stand-up. And then apparently they replaced him with Tig Notaro, who I also don't know. I'm like, you are giving me a headline of nothing. Oh, she's great. Okay, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm into a lot of stand-up, so I know Tig. I know who Cristalia was. I, I was happy to see Tig here. Like, I, I've enjoyed her stuff in the past. I will even argue that Dave Bautista feels like third-level The Rock, you know? Like, he's not a huge star. His movies where he's been the prominent feature haven't done particularly well. I feel like he is a supporting player that is finally being asked to up his game. I'll agree with that. I enjoyed my spy, but he does not seem to be pulling off the leading man thing as much as he thinks he is. He's like, I'm done with Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm finishing my contract. I have better paying offers and better roles coming to me. Okay, Dave. And again, I'm not, I'm I'm hoping all of these people are going to prove to me that they should be stars of their own TV series, movies, what have you. It just seems that if you're looking at Ocean's Eleven, a big part of that attraction is, wow, I'm looking at a screen where George Clooney, Matt Damon, and Brad Pitt are all standing next to each other. In this movie, it is much more about uh, people in the shadows coming out and showing what their talents are, if any. I was optimistic, though. I mean, I love Bautista as Drax. Again, I liked my spy. I thought he was fine in it. 
he was a reason for me to be optimistic coming in, truthfully. Again, looking for mirth, I think of him as a funny muscle guy. I really want to get into it then, Arnie, given the plot. Like, I'm so surprised that you didn't think that this was mirthful. It's certainly not Batman versus Superman dark. When a newlywed groom gets roadhead on the way to his Las Vegas honeymoon, he accidentally collides with a military convoy leaving Area 51. The result is the first zombie outbreak. The zombies overtake Vegas and the government walls off Sin City, preparing to nuke Vegas and end the plague. Scott Ward, played by Dave Bautista, was a Vegas resident who survived the outbreak, though he had to stab his wife in the head to do it. He also saved the Secretary of Defense and received the Medal of Honor. So when casino owner Mr. Tanaka wants to recover $200 million in cash from his Vegas casino, Ward is an obvious choice to lead the mission. Offered $50 million to split among his team, Ward accepts and assembles a crew of... Fellow Vegas warriors Marie Cruz and Vanderho, played by Anna de la Rigura and Omari Hardwick, respectively. Helicopter pilot Marianne Peters, played in the end cut by Tig Notaro. German safecracker Ludwig Dieger. Zombie-killing YouTube star Mikey Guzman. Guzman's friend Chambers. And forced upon them is Mr. Tanaka's head of security, Martin. They have 36 hours to get in, get the money, and get out before the nuke is dropped on Vegas, but that should be plenty of time. Ward's estranged daughter Kate, played by Ella Purnell, is a volunteer at a Vegas quarantine camp. Kate introduces her father to Lily, a woman who's led many people into Vegas. And Lily knows that the zombies aren't all slow dumb monsters, there's a hierarchy. At the top are the alpha zombie king that escaped from the military transport and his queen. Anyone the king bites becomes a smart, fast zombie. Anyone those zombies bite becomes slow shamblers. Lily leads Ward's team into Vegas, and Kate insists on coming too in order to find and rescue her friend Gita, who'd been lost in Vegas. On the way to the vault, several team members die, including Chambers, who was betrayed by Martin. Martin isn't there to help the team, though. He's there to get a zombie head. That's worth billions to Tanaka, and the 200 million was a decoy to get the team involved. I just want to specify, he's not there to get zombie head, he's there to get the head of a zombie. <laughs> yeah, but why? I think, I think someone's got some kink, that's why that's worth so much. <laughs> and Martin convinces Lily to partner with him, and they succeed in decapitating the zombie queen and putting her head in a sack. Meanwhile, Kate sneaks away from the group to try and find Gita. Things get more tense when the president moves up the nuke by 24 hours, now the team has only one hour to get the money and get out. The queen's decapitation angered the zombie king, who brings an army of zombies down upon the people. After Cruz declares her love for Ward in a very moving scene, the zombie king immediately kills Cruz. And the entire team is killed except for Vanderhoe, who's locked in the Vegas safe, and Warden Peters. Peters flies Ward to the Olympus Casino, which is the zombie king's castle, but it's also where Ward thinks Kate and Gita are. Ward is correct, and he rescues the two women, but the zombie king attacks. The helicopter crashes, and Ward is bitten just before he gets the headshot and kills the zombie king. Ward is able to reconnect with his daughter before Kate needs to shoot him in the forehead. Kate and Gita run away as the nuke is dropped on Vegas, and the explosion kills Peters. And in an epilogue, we see that they all should have just hung out in Tanaka's Vegas vault, because Vanderhoe was just fine from the nuclear bomb. He digs his way out, flush with millions of Tanaka's money, and charters a plane to fly him to Mexico City. But not feeling well, he goes to the airplane bathroom and sees a zombie bite on his arm as credits roll. 
I don't know, I've heard some humor there. We could discuss if it's high enough. What I'm hearing is, and what I will agree definitely with, is that the tone is not the same as Dawn of the Dead. Even though there seems to be a lot of superficial similarities, this one maybe feels slightly more starker. And Dawn of the Dead had its stark moment. Yeah, there's a zombie fetus in that one too. Yeah, it oscillated between horror and comedy many times. I mean, the guy starving to death across the way was a pretty dramatic thing in that movie. And yeah, zombie fetus was creepy. I think that it was able to play across all the realms. And like you say, it's something that probably James Gunn did bring to it a little bit. And here, I just feel like this movie is trying to be more, well, horror isn't the right word. Mm -mm. It's not trying to be more horror. It definitely is not. Is it trying to be more action? It doesn't... I, I guess it's just trying to be more serious. I think that there is a serious streak in it when we talk about fathers and daughters. And we should just go ahead and put it out there. Zack Snyder, we already discussed. He had that personal trauma. This movie is completed in the shadow of his daughter's suicide. So if there's that unfun element, I definitely think that it's because that theme comes up here. It's actually built into the storyline. But before we get to that, let's just talk about what we can know about this zombie outbreak. Are they even zombies or are they space aliens? Yeah, they're aliens, right? The army's bringing this alpha, I guess, alpha prime <laughs> from Area 51. So I'm like, okay, so it's it's got to be an alien thing. Okay, you guys took it as that. The way I read it was, we've always thought it was aliens at Area 51, but it's zombies. I never thought about that this guy was an alien. I took it the way, and of course... Some of this is colored by the making of documentary that is paired with this. I watched that right after this movie. But yes, these are we are to think of these zombies as evolved. They're better than humans. They're superhuman. And to me, that means somebody mixing the bloodlines with... Uh, if it's not a direct space alien, this is a space alien's baby. No, I, I'm pretty sure they mix like human DNA with the predator DNA. Because the way these zombies, like the, the growls and the sounds they make, it just took me back to Predator. You see, and what I had thought was, we've seen so many movies where the government is trying to make super soldiers or what have you and accidentally create zombies. And I'm like, at what point does a military scientist realize they've created a zombie? When it bites something and it creates something else, you've created a zombie. I mean, just stop. Yeah, that should play out with the rats you're experimenting on first before you get to humans. You, sh you should know if they're going to go zombie or not. And it's not exactly clear why they need to move it or where it's going, where it comes from. A lot of this will maybe be explained by a prequel cartoon that is coming to Netflix later this year. I'll hold my thoughts on, on the potential of that. I'll just say that I'm more or less okay with this being ambiguous, but uh, I kind of would like more explanation as to how it got free. I think maybe that expectation is colored by the fact that this, again, is almost two and a half hours. You got some time to tell us things. If this was a 90-minute zombie flick, again, okay, whatever you need to do to get the zombies out there, I'm fine with that. But I, I think because it is so long and drawn out, you're expecting more answers to all the little things and lines that get dropped throughout the film. Definitely. I wanted to understand, because there's something very funny and poetic and just very American about the idea of Area 51 literally colliding with Las Vegas. 
Vegas. That is the explanation we'll get for why this alpha zombie goes free. They're moving it somewhere from Area 51, and at the same time, a couple has just got hitched. They're not paying attention. She's going down on him, and you have the collision of Vegas kitsch and military secrets uh, happening right there. I thought, but it's not true. I went and verified the actresses, and it's two different people. This bride in this car is not going to be the zombie bride of the Alpha later. No, she explodes. I mean, there's a hell of an explosion when these two things hit. I I didn't think either one of them would even survive a zombie form unless she was looking a little Kentucky fried. But that would be funny, the idea that you're going to get Vegas sensibility together with Area 51 sensibility and they're going to fall in love. I thought this was going a different way. I know I'm watching a zombie movie. We start with this bride and groom. They get in. She's going to take him in her mouth. I'm like, oh, God, she's going to zombie out and bite him. She's going to zombie out and bite him. It goes a different way, but I really thought we were just going to start with a dismemberment. It's an R-rated film, so they could have done that. And I definitely think that Zack Snyder is sometimes his comedy is exactly that level. But it is fairly straight here as we see this creature get out bite two nameless guys that are part of the convoy and then look down at the Las Vegas skyline. And he turns one of the military guys, and this is a faster-than-fast zombie. This is a smart zombie. I mean, Zack Snyder was one of the creators of the fast zombie back when Dawn of the Dead came out. Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later, really. Yeah, that one more than him, but okay, yeah. Yeah, in, in the States, more people saw Snyder's film than 28 Days, but those two brought us the fast zombie, but now we have the zombie that even is not just fast, but knows how to dodge bullets and... I mean, yeah, they're superheroes now. They came off the set of Justice League. Here's Superman's zombified corpse, dodging bullets, doing parkour all over the place. Yeah, I literally, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't the stuntman for Henry Cavill. Like the, like the whole <laughs> aesthetic of I'm shirtless in the pants and all of that. I'm like, Superman had a whole thing on an oil rig that looked like this. Yes. <laughs> And so, again, it makes me think that Zack Snyder is letting all his stunt friends and all those people that have helped him make those other visions tell their own story now. That's the thrill of this, is that we finally get to be the star. And yeah, as they look over Vegas, we get my favorite part of the movie, what I think I want this movie to be. Isn't that always the best part of the Snyder film, the opening credits? Mm, you got a point there. I mean, watch, man. Go watch those opening credits. Forget the rest of that film. Those opening credits are amazing, though. And this one is a good one. I want to, right from the start of, like, Liberace. It's not Liberace zombie, either. It's Liberace. Is that Richard Cheese who's doing this cover? Is that Richard Cheese's Liberace? That's not Richard Cheese's body, but that is Richard Cheese's voice. Cheese is a good friend of Snyder's, and... Oh, really? Okay. And it's Richard Cheese's lounge cover of Viva Las Vegas here. Right, and we just get everything that we would expect you're right it's kind of what i expected this entire movie to be all in a nutshell of like an old man on oxygen finally wins at the slots yay my fortune is up and then he's like immediately tackled by a bunch of beauty pageant zombies and made zombies i thought these opening credits were okay i think they set up a tone for a different movie than we're gonna get with its bright pink lettering and everything even the advertising used a lot of neon i i feel like this is a very brown movie <laughs> 
you're not going to get a whole lot of color, just a lot of shades of brown and desert in there. You don't even get a whole lot of casino time, and that's what the poster had sold me, was this is going to take place in a lively, bright casino. I'm like, are we going to make a joke about those slot machine zombies just continuing to endlessly pull their one-armed bandits while real zombies walk around? Yeah, that's the thing is... Snyder, he's saying he's innovating here. He's bringing fresh life to the zombie genre. These opening credits feel a few levels down from what we got in that original zombie land. Like, I, I feel like he's going for that slow. Well, it's Snyder, so there's always slow mo, regardless. But a popular song and yeah, crazy action, topless showgirls. Like, we saw that in the opening credits of Zombie Land. It's a little bit of a letdown because I'm looking, okay, what are you going to say about Vegas? I know Vegas as. You know, in L.A., you kind of go there during the off-season because it's only a four-hour drive and it's usually cheap. It's not... People call it Disneyland for adults. I don't want to go to Disneyland as an adult. I don't want to go to Vegas as an adult. I think it's kind of a miserable place. I would just go there because I could get cheap hotels in the off-season and go in the pool. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, that was the time I most went to Vegas as I was living in L.A. and you just wanted a cheap weekend away and you didn't care about all of that so-called attraction. But I do think... Yeah, there's something fun about this setup. Like, I feel like, yes, it's it's not innovative. Definitely, uh, when you think about the Zombieland movies, it feels very familiar. It feels like he is trying to catch up. Like, I want my World War Z and I want my Zombieland movie. I want to take that crown back. But I do think, like, when we see the guy in the parachute come down and... That's a good scene. That may be the funniest moment in this for me. Yeah, the, the blood splatters on the parachute as it covers him and... Yeah, that, that's got, you know, we see all these people jump out of plane, they're floating down, the, these military guys, they're shooting, where are they going to land, though, in a horde of zombies? Like, I'm like, yeah, that, that's pretty funny, bad logistics there. That one shot bothered me, because I didn't feel like he seemed like he was parachuting down, there was something in his movements that I was... Oh, I feel like a lot of shots are like that in this film, Arnie. I I, I hope you have complaints about a lot of stuff, then, because that is something that stuck out to me. Just that it, it felt like he was being lowered down by a crane, and that one specifically bothered me. I I love some of these shots though when we see Cruz with a rail gun and she shoots a zombie not in the head but the head the chest and just the zombie is nothing but like ankles and knees left I'm actually smiling and laughing here and thinking this is a good mix it's like a fountain it's like a blood fountain it literally like lights up like the Bellagio of blood I'm liking the tone here but I'm also weirded out because it looks like they're taking ID photos with magazines <laughs> or something in between the kills. Yeah. Well, because this is a Snyder film, these opening credits are, are also going to tell us a lot of the story. Like, again, going back to Watchmen, you get a lot of the backstory from those opening credits here. Dave Bautista, all these characters, they were just normal citizens that, like, maybe big 2A fans, and so they had a lot of guns and just started shooting zombies and became heroes during this outbreak. They're not military. I am not sure that they're not. When it's called Army of the Dead, and they seem like a very well-organized group... But they've also taken like a mail truck and pimped it out so that it has a gunner on top. So I feel like maybe they were like Dawn of the Dead average people that were asked to do something extraordinary. But they've had some time together to become badasses. I do believe that they are maybe commoners that became a zombie kill squad. I just don't know how long that... I thought they were telling us this only happened in a matter of hours. But for them to formulate this response, it would need to be weeks. Yeah, because... Between the opening credits and then when the movie actually picks up, I thought, oh, maybe a year has passed. According to that 
Snyder drops a line in that making of where he says, oh, it's five to six years that passed. So, like, this has been going on for a while, apparently. I did not get five to six years. Oh, wow. Yes. Again, a year at most. <laughs> no, I took it as a few months if you're able to wall off the city and stop it. And they mentioned zombie wars as if, like, again, World War Z, this happened all over the place. And this is how Vegas fell. But maybe there are other, maybe Snyder is hoping that he can do spinoffs and, and what have you at other places in the world. But it wasn't just this cordoned off Vegas. Oh, I thought it was just Vegas that got attacked and they were able to quarantine Vegas before it got out worldwide. Okay, so this is the zombie war. Yeah, the way that they sell it to me is that they were able to quarantine the problem in Vegas. It started in Vegas and it stayed in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> Yeah, they should have used that slogan, but maybe they couldn't pay for the rights. So the zombie war is specifically this. Where are the troops then? Again, it's called Army of the Dead. I was expecting that you have Dave Bautista as the head of some kind of elite SWAT team. That's what I thought from the trailer that this was going to be. Or like Dawn of the Dead, that, you know, these are average people that have been asked to reinvent themselves in zombie times. And I'm not sure. We do get these posed moments of them holding their family portraits, and we see that they had this normal life, but it's not really clear how they all came together and became a kill squad. And we're also told a story wordlessly during these credits about a mother and a daughter who I thought were Bautista's kids or something. So confused. So confused by this. But I looked in the credits. She is soccer mom. That is how she is built. There is a soccer mom that becomes this commando woman. You, We can see her, yeah, like searching the grocery store, looking through piles of clothes, trying to find that soccer daughter and doing so, eventually raiding a building, rescuing her, but not getting out. But the mother is caught, the daughter runs back to the mother, and then, haha, they're not killed just by zombies, but the last piece of the wall. They're walling off Vegas with shipping containers, but it's being played like a game of Tetris, where you have to drop the blocks down. Yeah, you, you think you build a foundation around the whole thing and then start building up. No, apparently they just dropped them in one, one piece at a time. I mean, I'll buy that. That's fine. It's dramatic and what have you. Well, to me, it, it tells me this is going to be more of a zombie land than Dawn of the Dead type movie. And by Dawn of the Dead, I mean like Romero or something, like a more serious zombie film. Like you're doing some real broad slapstick type stuff in these opening credits. So you think that that is a, a slapstick bit of it falling down? Yeah, are you supposed to cry for this mother and daughter? I think that's supposed to be funny. I initially went right to Snyder's personal drama of my daughter died and thought, okay, he is trying to work through something here with that. You you felt there was a lot of pathos in the way they just comedically dropped that container down on a mother and daughter and a bunch of zombies. To me, you're supposed to laugh. I thought it was a laugh in the fact that it came down so fast. It's like drama, 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 punchline. But look, again, look at the way that in slow-mo it was a mother trying to tell her daughter to go back and, and save herself. The daughter chooses to die with her mother rather than be saved after all of that hard fought to get out of there. It's ironic, and irony could always be funny, but I think that it was also supposed to have a, a heartstring tug as well. I also want to point out here, not only did that daughter not get rescued, but that was a rescue attempt for her, but it, we will find out later, we'll see some of these people escorting a guy in military brass. He is the Secretary of Defense, and so that there's some kind of John Carpenter escape 
plot of they have to get this government official out of Vegas. Maybe that'll be in the cartoon. Maybe it won't. But why not just make the movie about this? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, Secretary of Defense, they usually go to the front of war that, that's engaged in battle directly. Like, it does feel weird that you'd have, you know, basically a cabinet position going out and, and yeah, getting in the midst of zombies. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And it's just going to be a drop line. I don't really think about it. I don't want that backstory. It's weird. See, I thought it happened in a week and that he just was partying in Vegas when it happened. <laughs> Yeah, that was my thought is like he was doing something he shouldn't have. And they're like, look, we need to keep this on the down low. But he's with hookers and they've turned into zombies. Again, real fun ideas. So strange that they've reduced it to this opening that I think is pretty good, but underserves the characters. You were supposed to teach us who this army was. And I really was confused and, yeah, spent most of my time focusing on a soccer mom who died and is not even going to come back as a zombie, like... Not even be referenced. At no point does this opening vignette matter. Yeah, that seems like a mistake. But I do want to ask, because I think sometimes we talk about our complaints... Are they boulders in the road or are they pebbles? For me, this is pebbles. Like, I'm enjoying this, but there are these rocks in my path. I'm not having a huge problem. I just don't think it's as snappy and as stylish as Zack Snyder has shown that he can be. And so I'm I'm a little concerned because, again, I I thought this was going to be more of an Ocean's film and and, and just quick dialogue and, and just a lot of fun to be in. And I'm not getting that sense yet. And me, I'm just wading into the water here, you know? It's like, what do you think of the deep end of the pool? I just got to the park. So I'm getting in the water. I'm thinking that the pool looks nice and blue. I'm enjoying what the opening credits give me. In retrospect, I'm like, wait, that mother and daughter thing never mattered. But I don't know that during this opening. I think that's going to be like the crux of some character's pathos. So... I'm loving this movie through the opening credits, and I'm like, this appears to be the fun movie I expected it to be. I mean, when you see fake Liberace playing while zombie showgirls attack some guy, this is my type of idea of fun. I'm liking this. But again, it's also Zombieland. Like, we've also seen this numerous times. And in fact, this is where the genre has been for a decade. Like, they haven't elevated from this. But then, right after the credits is where we're going to jump to a couple of stories that I just, I didn't see coming. The first is we're going to find out Dave Bautista, despite looking like he does nothing every single day but lift weights, is a cook, a chef, he wants to have a food truck. I, again, feel like this movie is trapped between we're doing what we did with Dawn of the Dead by making it average people and saying that this is an army of kill squad people, but that maybe they were betrayed, they were promised things, they were sent in, you know, kind of like Kurt Russell and told you're going to get all of this stuff and then when you emerge, oh, we didn't think you'd live. Okay, well, crawl away. Yeah, trying to understand this post-outbreak world... While Scott Batista's character is flipping burgers, we got the news playing and, and there's this debate going on. Like, is the government quarantining people because they might turn into zombies or are they using that to round up uh, LGBTQ plus and pro-choice and immigrant people because the government doesn't like them? It's a little weird that we get Sean Spicer there arguing that we do need to stop the spread. So it's weird. One, why are we giving Spicer a platform? That's maybe my personal politics. He's better here than on Dancing with the Stars. Ooh, yeah. It's weird that they flip the politics here. Maybe the joke is is like, oh, 
Snyder saying is the government would use this as an, as an excuse to round people up that they want to get rid of. But uh, another side has been arguing that about masks and how we're sheeple now. So it's some weird politics that rubbed me a little wrong. I just loved the, we've tested dozens of nukes in the desert. This is no different bombing Vegas. <laughs> and there's truth to that. I mean, that is part of the myth of that whole region is that you have Vegas, a place where people can become millionaires in an instant with a pull of a slot machine arm. You can change the direction of your life. And then we have all of those secrets and, you know, supposedly all the things the government doesn't want us to know, the conspiracy of Area 51. And yeah, that destruction, the, the nuclear testing. I think that they've richly tapped into all the ideas about what this area means for people. But I agree, the trying to understand that, okay, it's been six years and we still have kept anybody that got out of Vegas in a detention camp under the pretense that we think they're infected, but in fact, it's because they are foreigners. I think everyone that we see in these camps is a person of color and thus undesirable to be mingling with the rest of the population. It doesn't seem like this camp made a lot of sense to me. I really was struggling with why are there camps? I mean, admittedly, this movie shies away from one trope, which is the person got bit, hides that they're bit, is still with their people, zombies out, and then attacks them. I mean, that's the end of the film. <laughs> it is the very end of the film, but it's not... They don't do this in the middle of the movie like almost every zombie movie does. And so by doing that, I can't say how long it takes for someone to turn into a zombie. But from what we see at the end, it's pretty quick. I mean, it depends. We'll see in this film. It's either very quick or if you're a star in it, it could be days. I think if you get bit with it by an alpha, it might take 24 hours. In the end, I don't think you need to keep people in tents for a long period of time checking their body temp, which... I mean, it did have a very modern feel, both with Corona, with all the forehead scanning. I don't know how many times I've had thermometers pointed at my head like a gun in the past year. And then with the immigrant camps. Yeah, it's just weird that you're mixing up locking kids in cages with forcing people to do uh, show their vaccination passport. Yes, they're trying to say that the government uses the zombie outbreak as a pretense for just caging people they don't like. That's essentially what it is. No, there is no reason to cage them other than we don't want them in our midst. Which this might work politically before the pandemic, but this coronavirus got so politicized. It's, you know, you know where people stand. Like, you know where their politics are based on their response to it uh, nine out of ten times. And so it's weird that they're just mashing this all up together to, I don't know, make some kind of statement. And it should be said, this movie was greenlit and going forward long before COVID was a thing. This is not a response to COVID. It wasn't a metaphor for COVID. And they just happen to have temperature check guns in this. I, again, there's very specific iconography that you can't think of not being related to COVID now. Right. But again, I don't think it was totally designed to be a response to that. So yes, maybe it helps the movie in some people's minds. Maybe it hurts it in others. I feel it's pretty muddy. I feel like all of this idea that there's a detention. I don't think you need it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cut all of it, please. You don't need a detention camp. You need to just be ha say we're about to bomb it and people have to sneak in and get what they need before that. 
Oh my God, so seriously. When we're starting, we see Dave Bautista, short order cook, and then we see Gita in the camps with a volunteer and a creepy guard, and I'm like, okay... So we have two equal storylines here, and Gita and Ward are going to meet up, and they're going to have some kind of odd couple adventure, this strong woman from the camp who's a mother bear protecting her cubs, and Ward who's out for money. No, Gita is such a MacGuffin in this movie that I'm angry about this entire camp subplot. I'm right there with you, Artie. It does not do people of color, Hispanics, any favors to have Gita in this movie. And why is she exactly going there? What is she getting five grand for by going there? Does she want to play the slots and so she needs to get into Vegas to win five grand? Yeah, they want to get out of this camp because we see them being harassed, threatened with getting their temperature taken with a rectal thermometer. But I agree with you, Artie. Gita is is so prominent in this scene. Like, Dave Bautista's daughter is also in the scene. Kate, we don't know that yet, I don't think. I didn't realize it yet. I thought that, like, Gita was, like, second build in this film. Like, she was going to be a major character. Because, yes, we go from Bautista to her, and we spend a lot of time here. All right, so, again, my question, I think I'll be continually asking this. Boulders in the road or pebbles? I mean, I, I'm, I'm tripping over some rocks. Okay, rock in the shoe. This is a boulder for me. Again, I don't know it at the time. When I'm watching this movie, I think it's going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're talking about in real time. But then by midpoint in this movie where I realize what Gita is, I'm very angry that they wasted my time with Gita to begin with. They could have given Kate another reason to be there. Kate could be the coyote, you know, that has to be hired. She's become tough, and she takes it for the money but doesn't want to reconnect with her dad. There's so many ways you could write this cleaner and not have it be this weird Gita has to be taken into Vegas and left there, and this volunteer who is... Ward's daughter is going to risk her life to go find Gita. Now, how many people from the camps have been taken into Vegas and lost? Hundreds is what we're implied to believe. But because of Gita, we're going to have this whole subplot. Oh, it, it actually infuriates me because this movie needs to be cut down and that we spend all this time with Gita in the beginning for nothing. Cut this scene. No, in my 105-minute version of this film, the preferred cut... Release my cut. Make that a hashtag. Like, Gita would get as much of a backstory as the Secretary of Defense. Like, when we go to get into the camp and we got to get Kate involved, just go, oh, she goes sees those kids. Oh, my friend's in there. I want to rescue her. I don't, because I don't know anything more about Gita from this scene. Like, yeah, so we could cut all this and we could just name drop her later when we see her kids looking for her. I'm of two minds. I would say, on one hand, it was very confusing to me that people were sneaking into Vegas. I'm like, if you're in a detention camp... You would want the coyote to sneak you out. <laughs> you wouldn't want to go deeper into the problem. And the idea that they need to go win money in order to pay somebody to get out. Well, how are you paying the coyote? Like, all of this is very... Is she just working on spec? Like, okay, I'll let you in. And if you come back with money, that's you owe me some? Like, it just... The mechanics of this were very, very clumsy. 
But, but, and this is a big but, something I absolutely love is the idea that you have kept consistent the way that I think of Vegas, which is that it is this very dangerous place where you can fuck up your life in lots of different ways. But if you are lucky, you might just like wind up with the money. It's the fantasy that you're going to go in there and navigate through all of these zombies and dead people and be the one that gets the money out and gets to go live your life. I do like that as a metaphor. I like the metaphor. Okay, we're going to Vegas. That's a that's a fun place where you can have a lot of fun action and commentary about what is America or, or what is, you know, what does Vegas symbolize about America and all that. I do feel like we're going to get a lot of surface Vegas stuff, though. Like, I know Jason, one of our behind-the-scenes guy here at now playing, he lives out there in Vegas, so he probably has some really good insights. I feel like I could write all the jokey jokes, uh, you know, what Vegas means, but I, I did, again, this is two and a half hours, so I, I, I was hoping to get something deeper than Siegfried and Roy Tigers. There is a lot about this setup that is clumsy and works against what they're trying to get at. But I'm not having a bad time. I'm having a mediocre time. I'm waiting for it to give me a good time. Yeah, I'm not having a bad time during setup scenes. Again, I'm talking about when I see the end of this movie and realize this had no point, that I get actually avidly pissed. Yeah, do, do we want to review this in real time as we watch it? I, I mean... We're reviewing it as a whole. I, I understand what you're saying, but the point of Gita is that somebody, and, and while Schneider is listed as a screenwriter, it does look like other people came in on this at some point. Maybe, I'm not going to say whose idea it was. It seems like Gita was a response to ICE and the political climate of Trump, and it doesn't really have a place here. It really probably shouldn't have been brought in. This was not the vehicle to talk about putting immigrants in detention camps. Yeah, and I'm not saying a Zack Snyder zombie film can't do that, but this one fails to do that. No, if that was going to be the case, then they should be infiltrating the camp, not infiltrating Vegas. This is as far away from Ocean's Eleven as you can get. This is going from Ocean's Eleven to traffic. Both Soderbergh films, very different. Right, but the the point is, and, and the hook is, and the Ocean's Eleven film is, this billionaire Bly Tanaka, he wants to recover $200 million in the basement of his casino. And he's going to offer a substantial cut to this guy who, yes, Scott is now a short order cook, but somehow proved himself in that opening credit sequence, maybe with the Secretary of Defense, very unclear, as being someone that knows how to deal with this problem and can get his money. And the and Scott's only issue is going back there means facing the trauma of losing his wife. He will have a dream sequence in which we learn that he, in fact, is the father of that Katie character from the camps and that Katie was locked in the bathroom, her mom was a zombie trying to get in, and Scott had to drive a knife through her head, and it destroyed not only, you know, his marriage, obviously, but it destroyed the relationship to the point that Katie no longer speaks to him. Was I the only only one confused thinking was it the mother in the bathroom and he killed the daughter was it two sisters and he killed a second daughter i didn't know what the relationship was between who bautista was killing and who was screaming they all looked young yeah i it wasn't clear but i assumed it was the mom when we see the daughter seeing bautista stab her in the head i didn't know that was the daughter or the i thought that was the daughter watching the stabbing i thought he was stabbing another daughter it would have you know, I know it's a dream sequence, so it's wordless, 
but a little bit more to that. Putting that in the opening credits as the little vignette we see instead of Soccer Mom would have gone a long way towards telling me what is up with the father-daughter relationship here. Yeah, we should know the relationship by this point, and you're absolutely right. We learned the storyline of a soccer mom who died and didn't get out and is not a part of this story. We should have learned that story and Scott's pain and what it means to go back for him so that we don't need to do this now. It's an example of why this movie is too long, is the fact that it's only now getting to telling us something that it had plenty of room to do previous. And he already has, like, another girlfriend lined up. Like, when he's thinking about putting the team together, there's this flirty Maria mechanic who, you know, will later even say, like, I thought when you came to me, this was our way of hooking up and the money was secondary. (laughs) Yeah, again, it helps to realize this is like six years after he killed his wife. Which, look, that's going to traumatize you for a long time, but it plays weird when, like I did, I thought this was maybe a year later at most. I kind of got a flirty thing between them, but then I wasn't sure... Oh, it's definitely flirty. And then there's the end scene with her that's all dramatic. And I, again, they tried to give Bautista a little too much emotional heft. That guy can lift weights, but he can't lift two estranged women plots. Mm-hmm. I think he could do one. I really do. I think if you narrowed it down to a father-daughter relationship or hook up with an old combat buddy relationship... Preferably the second one would feel more Ocean's Eleven, but reconnecting with the daughter the way that Danny Ocean wanted to reconnect with Tess in Ocean's Eleven, I could go with that too. I think he could do one, but instead of doing one story well, they do two stories half-assed. And he has a buddy that he's taking with them, but we never really find out that much about Vanderroe, other than he was a philosophy major. When we see him pose, he we see that he has this master's degree, and we're to think that for him... Him, when he's approached at the idea of going back into Vegas, he talks about catharsis and the process of having to see the people within the zombie. It sounds like a heavy conflict, but one that does it register for you for the rest of the movie? This character's a cipher to me because he's got a master's degree. And when Ward finds him, he's doing physical therapy at a nursing home, helping a geriatric woman do some kind of water therapy. And then when he's approached, yeah, you see he has this Omega brand on him, you know, like tribal scarring of the Omega symbol, and he's fetishistically bringing this giant saw out of the ground, which I know the saw from the trailers and the posters. And so he, to me, is really the crux of this film in that I know we're going to be dealing with an Alpha and an Omega, but I don't quite know that that entire thing is fu- is fully formed. I feel like it's not viable, as in the exact definition of viable, able to exist outside the womb. It- it's still in its fetal stage here, but it could have grown into something. <laughs> yeah, no, Vanderhoe is the, the perfect symbol... T- to me, for Snyder's grandiose, pretentious ideas that he always promises and and never play out. You you called out that Omega symbol. We're going to have alphas. And guess what? The guy with the Omega, he's going to be the last one. And he's going to talk about a sickly nature. Maybe they just keep going around and around in circles doing the same thing. Oh, we got rid of the zombies? He's going to bring the zombies back by the end of this. It's strongly hinted. Like, I, I see what you're doing, Snyder. You got some ideas, but wow, they go nowhere. I agree. So much of of him and the rest of the team that they're assembling feels like 
God, you got to tell more of their story. We've got to know more of what they're about. And I definitely feel like the entire two and a half hour film, you don't do that in an Oceans film. But they cede everything to Dave Bautista and his daughter complex. And that seems like a real mistake, but one that... I guess I'm a little bit forgiving for because of what Zack Snyder was going. I'm good with character types. You mentioned Ocean's Eleven. I can't say that Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn had fully developed arcs. I want my Mormon Twins prequel cartoon. So when you're assembling the rest of the team, I'm great with types and he brings so many people together i'm like okay there's a lot of dead meat here that's going to get picked off very early i kept thinking about james gunn's new suicide squad film that's coming up and it has like 80 stars on the poster when you see the trailer you see like six of them survive the first 15 minutes of the film and that's what i was thinking here was kind of like we're assembling this huge crew I feel like seven is the magic number of characters that can truthfully be supported in a movie. How many are in this crew? Did you count them all? Yeah, I mean, again, I think depending on how you feel about Gita, like it's between an Ocean's 11 and an Ocean's 13. There's about 11 to 13 people that should have a storyline because they're a facet of this heist. Yeah, like one character will bring two characters on his own. Like, I'm like, wow, this this crew just keeps building up. Now we got to go get a coyote too. And she needs extra people. How? Like, yeah, I, I lost track of everyone. I'm just like, okay, we're going to get a lot of kills because they're bringing a lot of people with them. That's what I thought is they were just going to quick pick off a number of them and then we'd be down to a handful that would have stories. I thought the YouTuber was gone for sure. But I I would argue they don't need to be dead meat. You can have an Oceans movie. None of those people died. They all had storylines. Yeah, Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn weren't major stars, but they did run off to Mexico and lead a revolution and they had their own little storyline going. You want to give everyone something to do. And maybe it's meaningful and maybe it's not. I don't think we need 13 storylines with dramatic pathos of my daughter doesn't love me. But I do think that everyone that you bring in needs to have a special skill and has a storyline where they figure out how to do something despite the odds. It's going to be really easy for this team to get to where it's going. And half of them, I'm not even sure why they're there. Yeah, they say that this is going to take two and a half to three and a half hours start to finish. I mean, it's apparently really easy to get into Vegas. That seems very optimistic. Walk to the casino. You can't Uber because it's a zombie apocalypse. They can't fly in because it's a no-fly zone, even though I don't know where they would be scrambling jets from if you do. You could just flew over real quick and parachuted in, but I guess we saw how parachuting went. But it's, it's going to take no time at all. The fact that Tanaka waited until two days before the nuking. Well, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, we'll see the evidence of other teams that have gone in. He's tried before and lost. But the pressure is on because they have this Friday at sunset deadline. Does Tanaka not know his safe will survive a nuke? Again, we will find out that this is not even about the money. Uh, He doesn't care about the safe. It's about recovering the genetic material of the alpha. True, true. I didn't. I did forget that, even though I said it in my plot summary. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's you want to have these twists, and you definitely want to have people with different agendas and secret motivations. I'm just going to argue. I feel like a lot of these characters, and it doesn't help the fact that I don't know the actors playing them, like just kind of fade into the background. 
And one literally is here, like, as a pickup shots. Poor Tig Notaro, as we've already stated, is the last-minute fill-in. After they shot the movie with the sexual predator guy, they were like, we can't have it go out with him. Cut him all. And kind of like they did with Christopher Plummer in that Marky Mark movie a few years ago, All the Money in the World, they just did pickup shots where she pretends she's in the same shot as they are. If I didn't know that story because I knew that going in, there's a few times where... It, it seems a little awkward, but I think Snyder or, or the effects team that he got to do this, they did better than Henry Cavill's upper lip when they had to remove that mustache. This looks more convincing than that. I was surprised how little the distraction was that this character was just green screen. It wasn't acting actually with anyone. I thought Tig did a pretty good job delivering the light. She's funny at least. So I'm laughing. So I, I, I'm not getting too critical about how she's being green screened in. They just stick her on the roof. It's mostly a one-person performance, so she's able to not have to interact too much. I didn't find any places where I saw the seams. It's just kind of weird that Tig is stuck in a chopper trying to fix an engine, and we never really, you know, it's the kind of thing where you'd want to see how the character figures out the problem. I mean, I feel very sad for Tig. I think only somebody working on a George Lucas movie has it worse than Tig, surrounded by green screen and no actors. I mean, I feel like this whole movie was probably filmed like a George Lucas film. I think there's a lot of green stuff going around the sets. If there were a moment where I felt like everyone worked together, that would be one thing. But I feel like, yeah, everyone kind of splits up pretty quickly and, and you don't see the cast working on one big heist. You see people, you know, doing little bits in various places. And there's no thrill in seeing them getting together because it's not like they're big stars that have never worked together before. So it just doesn't have a whole lot of appeal. I guess... What I would argue is, I know that we associate these movies with 10, 11, 12, 13 people, but all Bly said was, you need a safecracker and a chopper pilot. Like, why are we bringing all these other people in? Come on, you need a YouTuber. I want to know, I guess if there's a zombie apocalypse, YouTube's finally going to let you just show you shooting people because, man, they were demonetizing videos just because people wanted to talk about the coronavirus at the peak of that. Now we got Mikey Guzman just blowing zombies away on YouTube. I had watched those videos. And and my thing is, fine, have a YouTuber. So are are we going to see him being an influencer? Again, I'm going for very broad jokes here, but like he's doing selfies as he's shooting zombies. Like it, it feels like you introduce this stuff to do commentary or, or at least play and have jokes about our culture that way. And they don't ever really do that. It, it, it's weird to me. Yeah, I feel like you either want to have Mikey or you want to have Vandero. Like, I'm not sure why you need both. One has a saw and one has a gun, but they're both just muscle. And I feel, I feel like you want to have a small crew that slips in and slips out unnoticed. I would have liked the YouTuber to be actually making videos and things and trying to build on that reputation when they get in there. I think that his introduction is his best moment when we see him doing the video online. And from that point on, he's just your standard merc. And yeah, the safe cracker is one that they need. I get it. You say he's a big star in Germany? Maybe yes, maybe not. But I feel like... When we finally get to the vault, it should be really hard for him to crack the safe. And I feel like all of it. Die hard it isn't with your safe cracker there who is spending a lot of time and going through the seven layers. Yeah, he's talking about this as like being a tremendous work of art. And And I I guess this is where 
my problems with this film, they, they start bowling. Pebbles and, and, and boulders may be the wrong metaphor. Maybe a little snowball that starts rolling down the hill and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and is it going to run into me? Because, again, if we're going with Ocean's Eleven, even when we're just being told, okay, here's the heist, we're like, wow, this is an impossible thing. When we get the, the breakdown of what they need to do, okay, there's zombies, but this is a zombie film. We've seen those before. You got to go in, shoot them, open the safe. It's not very clear until I, at least for me, until we get to the safe to see how hard it is going to be to open in a heist film forget whether this is oceans 11 or not just in a heist film in general you need to understand the mechanics of what is supposed to go right what is the heist so when things go wrong and obstacles pop up you know you you have that understanding i don't what's the heist here they're going to go shoot their way in and open a vault and get some money it's it's not a great setup for me yeah, the, when we actually get that scene, they go all, like, come to a warehouse. We get the scene, and it couldn't be more connect the dots. I mean, like, it was a, a real simple one. Like, okay, you're going to walk in, you're going to get to the casino, you're going to open it, and then you're going to leave on the chopper on the roof. Wow. Like, you needed 13 people to do that? I feel like this is why, like, and particularly if it's a zombie movie, you need to have somebody there to lure away the zombies so that someone else can set this off. And it needs to be a Rube Goldberg. You need to have a lot of things in most spinning plates everywhere and all of these specialty skills and it goes wrong and people have to figure out things on the fly like that's the fun of a heist and i don't feel like god knows like Zack snyder has made a good zombie movie but i don't know that he's got a good heist movie he doesn't seem to understand the genre the way i took it was that all these people were needed because of the zombie fighting i mean you have one safe cracker one pilot I even like that the pilot calls out. So obviously, if there's one person who's most important, it's this guy because he can open the safe. But if there's a second person who's important, it's me because I'm the pilot. And if there's a third, it's probably you because you're the team leader or maybe you're chippy over there. And everybody else, except for the guy who was sent along from Tanaka, is pretty evenly in fourth. And Martin, we should kill Martin. I think they need like 13, 14, 25 people just to haul in all that gas, which obviously they're just carrying empty tanks. Like I never feel there's any weight in those gas canisters they're all backpacking in but yeah they got to bring all this gas into power not just a generator but also a helicopter and they have to carry out all that money but yeah i just figure all these people are here because there's so many zombies you gotta have guns and you mentioned Martin. He is supposed to be the one that, you know, everyone looks at him askance because why does Bly send in a spy? He's there with his own purpose. Why do they need to have this cover mission? Why not just tell them, we need you to get the head of the Alpha Queen? Like, that wouldn't it make it a whole lot easier? And you can rob my safe while you're doing it. Like, that, to me... Why Why not be honest? I guess, like, as the casino owner, like, the fact that that has to be a secret mission doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm never sure what Tanaka knows, because Martin does this, and he goes, this is worth more to my boss, but he never says, this is what my boss really wants. I, I couldn't tell what was Martin going rogue, and what was Tanaka having a cover mission. I think they make it clear later that the head was the mission, and the money was a cover, though I don't know why you just don't get a really good mercenary to go in by themselves, like all ninja style, if that's your plan. What This whole team, they, they don't help Martin out at all, get that head. It's not even that hard to get her. I mean, like, she comes willingly at the first time that they walk in there. We, we'll see that, you know, they get to this McCarran base, and the coyote is going to lead them in, which totally feels like Batista is sidelined, because we have a character... The whole point of Batista is he's done this before, and he would know the way in. He would be the leader. 
leader, but she's really the leader because she's been going in there this last six years. And she's French? I don't know. I don't understand the mechanics of, of so much of this film. Like, she's speaking French all the time. She's got an accent, but I guess she's a volunteer at this camp as well. No, 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 no. She's not a volunteer. The way that I take it, and it's me extrapolating from nothing, is that when the zombies broke out in Vegas, everyone went fleeing, and the people that were not American, all the tourists and maybe all people of color were rounded up and saying, we will make sure that you're not infected, and they've just been put on ice because we don't want foreigners. Okay, so she doesn't work there. She's just a coyote that hangs out around there. And she could get out at any time because she's a coyote but stays for the money. Oh, she's a French tourist. Okay, that makes sense. Again, she's not being paid to lead them in there, so they'd have to be successful. You'd think she'd care more about Gita getting out if Gita's going to pay her with money from a slot machine. <laughs> Regardless, too many characters, not enough satisfying arcs. And again, it would be really easy if all this guy wanted was the head of the queen. Here she comes with the tiger from Siegfried and Roy. I do like that. That is funny. I see the tiger. I'm like, oh, Siegfried and Roy. No, it literally is the tiger from Siegfried and Roy. It bit Roy. Zombie bit it. Yeah, I think it is maybe the best flourish. You talk about these being broad strokes about Vegas. I think that's the way to go. I don't have any secret history of the town. So yeah, make fun of the things that we all know about Vegas. And the white tiger is certainly one of those that's past due. And so there was this other guy that they brought the last minute. The coyote like just said, hey, Bert, do you want to make $20,000? This is the crooked security guard that was harassing Gita and Kate earlier. Right. Threatening the rectal thermometer. Yeah, we, we've known that she couldn't possibly trust him because of that scene. And now we find out that anytime you enter here, you have to offer a human sacrifice that this alpha queen comes out and drags it back to the Olympus Hotel. And when they enter, what's weird, because we're going to have different types of zombies, alphas and shamblers. But like they make some reference to shamblers like being dehydrated, basically. And like if it rains, they'll be reanimated and come after them. So we're going to get some rain at the end of this film, right? I do. I do agree. I thought it was going to do one of the rare Vegas rainstorms. But I like the detail of that. These are dead bodies and they will dry up and become desiccated and unable to move. But if it rains because they are undead, then they get a little bit of limberness back to them until it dries up again. They're just not smart enough to stay in the shade. Yeah, and I, I don't take it to mean that they'll be like running, you know, and full zombie. But yeah, I thought they would turn on the fountains at some point. I, I thought they had to go there with Vegas fountains being what they are as part of the iconography. I thought that might, you, you would just see like limbs flickering and moving as they run out of town was kind of the image I had in my head. That never come. But yes, it's like a joke that maybe they had the idea they were going to film and ran out of money. Worth pointing out, Netflix only gave them about $90 million, which is a lot of money, but is not the kind of money that you normally make one of these giant movies for. Like, and was that before or after paying for all the CGI to get TIG in? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But World War Z, by comparison, was $200 million. A mediocre film for $200 million that doesn't make its money back? Yeah, it made a lot of money. It just didn't make people happy. No, no, it did make its money back, but it, it's. I actually think it's considered the highest grossing horror movie of all time. 
But my point is, the only point that I have is that they don't have the money to do everything that they want. Whereas World War Z could show us stacks of people moving in like an ocean of zombies and do all of the, anything that they could imagine they could film. Here, I feel like these ideas are sort of constrained by a mid-sized budget. Uh, I feel like that's an excuse. Then you make your movie work for that budget. 28 days later, they, they were able to show empty streets in London and make it feel real. They didn't have 200 million. Like, you, you work with your budget. Sorry, Snyder. I'm fine that they didn't bring it back. That is not even a pebble. Until you bring it up, I'm like, yeah, they that was a Chekhov's gun that they didn't pull off the wall. But you know what? They're universe building here. Every article I read with Snyder about this talks about how this is the beginning of a mega franchise of movies and TV shows and comic books. And then I'm like... Maybe we made a mistake reviewing this just because it's going to be so big. Is it going to be Marvel Part 2 if it's successful? There's already a second movie filmed before the first movie was ever seen. So all he's talking about is how this universe is going to expand, expand, expand. I could take some of this as laying the foundation for a universe. I mean, we could be sitting here the same way and be like, well, what was on Dantooine in Star Wars? Why would they mention Dantooine and not show us Dantooine? What is this Clone Wars shit they're talking about? Which is what? Well, which is why I'm asking whether these are real problems or whether this is the disgruntlement when we get to the end that we realize that we didn't find out and maybe probably never will find out all of this detail. The fact that there's a whole Secretary of Defense subplot that I don't care. Just mention it. Fine. I wish we got Gita out of this more. Just mention her. Fine. I'm good with that. But when you set up again, we get into the action. We're, we're, we're setting up obstacles that our character is going to have. Oh, these zombies are going to come to life if it, if it rains, guys. Like you're setting something up there that's never going to pay off. To me, that, that that's bad writing. You Like a lot of stuff in this movie, you cut it. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, I think that you're getting back to the complaint of two and a half hours. Like, you dragged this out and then didn't even deliver. And that is, that's the extra rub of this, is that if it were leaner, we would just say, oh, somewhere on a cutting room floor is this the rest of this scene. And now we're wondering, why is there this bloat if they didn't actually have enough to show? I'll agree. I mean, I don't mind long movies, but I noticed that this one was like 14 minutes shorter than Watchmen. And I'm like, Watchmen has a lot of layered plots going on. This is a pretty straightforward heist. I feel the length in this one, and I shouldn't. I don't mind long movies if I don't feel it. But here, I felt like, why is it taking so long? They said it was only going to take a couple of hours to get in, get the money, and get out. It takes us over an hour just to get to the casino. I love a, lo a slow buildup. It's why I love the movie Aliens. An alien, for that matter. Like, I have no problem with the beginning of this movie. My problems actually begin once they drag away the security guard and we're supposed to get, you know, the, the model for me is the warriors. Let's go from place to place and, you know, get into battles and skirmishes. I feel like this is where the movie hits its, its problem. Yeah, and this is where, again, you pick a place as just vibrant and bold and out out there is Vegas like I want some references I want some jokes I want you to tell me something about Vegas the fact that they're they're going to go into one hotel before they get to the main casino and shoot some zombies that are hibernating like you go to Vegas you know what one of the craziest things in Vegas about mm, 5 p.m. the sidewalks line up with these guys who just start flicking these cards for for escorts I collected those cards I had like a deck I, I like would ask the guy for all the different <laughs> ones he had yeah you could collect them like baseball cards they just litter the street like there are very specific 
few things about Vegas that you could get into. And what is their one obstacle to the casino? Oh, we got to walk through some hibernating zombie in some other casino. Like, that's it? That's all you got to say about Vegas? No, it feels like a hallway. And it doesn't feel like a casino. It feels like a dark room. This whole setup, I think it's supposed to be where we're supposed to feel tension, scared, zombie scares of like, okay, you're, you're surrounded by them. And as long as you don't like rattle them, they'll just let you pass. But you have to like crawl through them like a game of Twister to try to get to the other side. I'll just call out the direction. Like you didn't get any tension out of this. There's nothing scary about this. This is where we lose our first member. She was dragged along. She's a fanboy of Guzman. Had never killed a zombie before. Had come with a friend who wisely said, you're all going to die and left. I don't really know why she suddenly becomes this it's it's in the performance. I think we're supposed to see that she got overly scared and started killing everyone and it got out of hand. Well, yeah, she starts stabbing them so it's quiet and then one of those hibernating zombies like knocks over some plates and it starts waking them up and yeah, it escalates from there. See, I liked this scene. I liked that Martin betrayed her because she was keeping her eye on Martin and I thought for sure that, you know, Martin was going to be a bigger problem than he actually was because he kills this one. I'm like, Martin is more dangerous than the zombies. That's the thing about most zombie movies is you find a human horror that is as bad or worse than the zombie horror. So here we have Martin doing that. He throws the glow stick. I'm like, is this girl going to be smart enough to find her way out? Is it even possible she gets there? I love when she's stealth killing the zombies and lowering them. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not like tense about it. I'm not like feeling anything, but I like the little bit that, oh, this one grunted. Stab him in the head, lower him to the ground. Oh no, now that one grunted. And it's just, they telegraphed the one she lowered with the hand on the plate. And I'm like, I know where this is going. Unfortunately, Martin then has to lock her in the room because she is actually so successful at zombie killing. She could have survived this if he hadn't been a dick and put a shotgun through the door handles so she couldn't get out. And even then she jumps through a window. I mean, this is a badass woman. And then when she's dying, I really thought as badass as she was, she'd be like, Martin did this to me. But she just, you know, if you shoot a red container of gasoline that's next to your lawnmower, does it explode like you threw a grenade? I mean, did you see that opening car accident? Everything explodes. I think that this conceptually is a great idea. I think the execution, the camera work in this. I do notice that Zack Snyder has uh, not only directed and, and co-written, but insisted on on being DP and even camera operator. On the shots they showed behind the scenes, many times he is the one pointing the camera at the actors. Yes, that making of documentary, big pink letters, the cinematography. And I'm like, oh boy, because I think this is an ugly looking movie and not in a good way. Like you could have something ugly looking and it's supposed to be that way. But this one, yeah, when he's talking about, I got my 4K red and I got back to my roots where when I did commercials, I was behind the camera. And so I'm just getting back to my, um, Zach, stop, stop, stop talking. You're not doing yourself any favors because this movie, not great cinematography. I really disliked one thing about the look of this film. He constantly goes extremely low depth of field. That was the camera. He bragged about that. These lenses. Everything's going to be blurred in the background and so sharp in the foreground. Oh, he loves that, Arnie. That, that was his vision. Yeah, it makes it hard to see anything. I agree. 
Yeah, hard to see, and it's cool if you do it once and, like, have a specific thing, like, maybe a character's point of view, and the zombie queen is out of focus, then in focus, but he pulls that trick at least twice every four minutes. It is constant low depth of field where Dave Bautista's chin hairs are all that's in focus, and I'm like... Come on. And the other problem I had, I don't think this is necessarily cinematography, but cinematography, lighting, and makeup all combined. You guys watched this making of. I'm assuming the majority of these zombie makeup effects are practical because they look terrible. Yes, my my wife was complaining. She's like, really? This is the best he could do for these zombies? They Again, in that documentary, very proud of the makeup, the, the design work they did. Yes, they go into a lot of detail about it. I love the detail they did, and I respect the artisans that did the makeup, but the problem is these zombies, especially the fast-moving ones, are limber, and when they turn their head, you see the latex pull, right? It wrinkles and seams and doesn't move like necrotic or real flesh, and sadly, I've seen both. In darkness, or if they'd slimed it up like Screaming Mad George... If they'd used mood lighting, it all would have worked. But when they're out in the desert sun, these makeup effects constantly bothered me. And I think part of that is the filming. You just don't get his vision, Arnie. He's going for realism. They're dried out. They make points of this in the documentary, why they look this way, why as they evolve, they're less and less moisture. Like (laughs) this is all Zack Snyder's vision. This is the evolution he's talking about when he's talking about evolving the zombie genre. Literally, we have this new kind of zombie, this look of it. You know what? I'm neither excited by nor hating it. What I hate is that we have our first big action scene and it's taken over an hour to get to and it's like this bizarre pantomime uh, like a modern dance troupe or something like that (laughs) that doesn't have a whole lot of scares in it. They did trick me about one thing. I thought that they were doing aliens because I know that was my complaint about Dawn of the Dead was that they were just riffing on aliens all the time. I thought this was our Vasquez with Chambers and the way that she always hated Martin. I thought that they would come around and end up teaming up, you know, just the way that Vasquez and Gorman did at the end. But no, Martin traps her, gets her more or less. I don't know. She she doesn't die there. She somehow breaks through a window, but all for naught. In the end, Guzman has to mow her down and took a big buildup. When we finally get to that action scene in Aliens, and it's about the same buildup, like it's breathtaking when, we, when we're when we learning all that we're learning and seeing all these people getting killed. And here, here was Chambers, someone I barely paid attention to, and we're, next scene, we're there at the casino. Like that was the journey. That was the whole difficulty of getting to the heist. And that's what I'm saying. There's nothing to say about this journey in Vegas to the goal. That should be all the fun, making fun of Elvis impersonators, wedding chapels. Fine, go broad. I don't have a problem with it, but that you should hit each of those points as you're going on this journey to the main casino. The problem is we spent an hour uh, with Gita's backstory. Like you took all this precious time for the fun stuff away for supposed character work. Okay. I'm now getting what you guys say- are saying about like the lack of fun. You're right. That would be so much fun if we went to a wedding chapel. You started off with a zombie tiger and then we get nothing for how long? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's so much fun to exploit that we never get to because we had to get in our political licks and just set up way too many characters who don't, again, like now that we're here, everyone go do your thing. Yeah, let's split off into three different parties. But I feel like the next 
30 minutes is pretty much people turning on the generator and getting to what they're supposed to do or watching other people do what they're supposed to do. It's not very exciting. And doing it. I mean, there's no banter. There's no repartee. The best we get is anything involving Dieter and especially between Dieter and Vanderhoe. Those are the two that I think have the best banter and the best kind of bouncing off each other because they're both crazy in different ways. And yeah, we got Vanderhoe crazy talking about a time loop when they find the bodies of the previous infiltrating group. I was begging Zach to pay that off. I'm like, yes, just turn this into a weird time loop astrophysics film all of a sudden with with black holes. Who knows? Go for it, Zach. I want that. (laughs) It's a zombie Donnie Darko. Yeah, the guy was a philosophy major, so I think that's the payoff for him being, like, I think the joke is, this is a guy that thinks too deeply and is, like, really imagining more than there is. And does that really pay off? It's a Raiders of the Lost Ark joke, right? They basically have to set up zombies to go walk on booby traps so that they can get to the safe. Yeah, if this was a goofier film, I I would have had no problem with this. I would have been laughing. The fact that they've more or less like, no, we want to keep this grounded in the real world. I mean, if you built a security system like this, would at least manslaughter, right? If someone tripped it, like you don't get to shoot someone just because they're walking towards your vault. I don't understand this at all. If you build that security system, you hide the body. You don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention, wouldn't Bly supply them with the bypasses? Like, he wants them to succeed. Who knows? Or does he? I kept thinking that maybe the whole point of Martin was that it was to lead these people in and then they would be killed and he would get what he wanted. It would be one thing if he was using the others as sacrifices to lure the queen out so he could get her head and he was going to betray them all. But it really doesn't play that way. And consequently, it just feels like a lot of people wasting time here in the middle. What is this film? Why is stuff happening? Who are these characters? I'm getting some funny banter every now and then that's keeping me entertained, but it's I don't understand the tone of this. It's just nothing is driving into a cohesive whole. This feels like different factions of zombies pieced together or something. I don't know what the vision is here. I listened to Zach say a lot about his vision. I'm not seeing what it really is, though, on screen. I laughed when the zombie was being put through the traps and that they had to microwave a hand and it's not the meat it's the heat you know yeah i like some of this banter the movie needed more of this moment and more zombie silliness in order to be an ocean's 11 zombie movie but this is the lone scene we get in vegas that is just pure fun and it's set against Martin ambushing the queen. And we've seen, because they shot Bert, we got to see Bert taken to the Alpha. And the Alpha, you know, we're told Bert's a rapist. I really thought the queen should have been the one to kill Bert. But the Alpha takes him and bites him in a ceremony like, you will be one of my chosen. And he's hauled off, raised by the zombies. And the Alpha has put his head against the queen's belly. So I'm like, Zombie baby? She's pregnant. Zack Snyder is very proud of this. This is his elevation of the zombies. Look, they have their own society. They still got some humanity to them. They they care about family. It does feel like I am legend at this point. Like maybe he's going for something like that where we just don't understand these zombies. They're good people. Yeah, well, the alphas. Romero did that with Land of the Dead. Yeah, Stephen King was Cell. We'll get to that one day. It's not an elevation. We've already thought of zombies in this way. But yes, 
I do believe we're supposed to have humanized a little bit. We're supposed to feel for this guy when he realizes his woman got her head cut off. And we're really maybe even wanting him to ride in there with a skeleton horse and get everybody here. Do I want King Zombie with a fan on the mask metal helmet riding a dead zombie horse holding a rebar spear with a, a zombie tiger? That sounds like something you'd want, yes. I absolutely want this. And, and maybe that's why I'm even more disappointed because why does that zombie fetus die? Like, we'll, we'll see the, the King Zombie, like, take the baby out of the queen's corpse and it's dead. I don't know. That that queen didn't have no blood pumping. She was a zombie too. Like, I, I don't understand how a zombie baby just dies. I wanted to see little hungry fetus puppet. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were going to get that. Like, because I don't understand why that fetus would be dead if it was alive. I don't understand your zombie lore, Zach. Yeah, again, all I'm saying is, wouldn't it be an interesting reversal? Since they've tried and I haven't really fallen in love with this Ocean's Eleven team, wouldn't it be something if suddenly we were rooting for the zombies to wipe them out? I I don't know if they could have pulled that off. That would be something. But I am kind of rooting for, they nickname him Zeus, I guess, because he is the leader. Yeah, and they're also at the Olympus, which is like a Caesar's Palace ripoff. Yeah, there's a whole Greek god motif going on. I don't think we can really like him, though, because he kills Maria. Like, once they raid the Bly Casino, everyone is pretty much wrapping up their duties. And we're starting to think that maybe Scott and Maria are going to be a couple. And I think it's supposed to be a shock to the system that she doesn't live. No, no, no. The whole speech, I'm like, she's dead. She is dead meat. When he's like, I thought I've broken that forever. <laughs> yeah. She's not even good enough for meat. He breaks her neck and turns it around 180. It is unintentionally funny, though, how fast she gets eaten. Like, as soon as she's, you know, I love you, boom, you're dead. Like, it it happens so super fast. Which I laughed, but this is not the kind of film it's been the whole time where, yeah, we're going to get slapstick zombie kills all of a sudden. Is that supposed to be dark and scary? I don't even think that's slapstick. I think this is supposed to be another example of our main character's problem. I think we've been told at this point, our main character, Scott Batista, he thought his problem was that people judged him for killing his wife and he had no choice. And like the daughter's like, no, I judge you because you weren't around and you're emotionally unavailable. And this woman is like, yeah, you were also emotionally unavailable to me. He just killed his wife. Yeah, I know. Like this, she should be his wife, and we shouldn't have the dead wife storyline. But whatever. The point is, is that I think that this is supposed to be another reminder to him that he is not available to the people that need him. I don't know. I'm tired of trying. The other thing that's frustrating is they've moved up the timeline for dropping the nuke. It's supposed to be dropped on the 4th of July, and that had bad optics. I guess maybe this is funny to someone. It was funny to me that the president said it would be cool and a big fireworks display. It made me think of W. W would say that. Yeah, absolutely. But so they move it up. So like they know that. They know the bombing is happening sooner. Like at one point, they're like, we got 20 minutes to get all this money to the copter. But no, we're going to have a long emotional speech. $200 million. That's about two tons like heavy. You got to start moving. You don't have time to say I love you to this woman if you want to accomplish this goal and miss the nuke. Like because of Zack Snyder, we're just going to stop time apparently. So we're going to have these moments despite everything you've set up, like that ticking clock you set up doesn't matter now. When you write a screenplay, you approximately take one page and that's one minute of screen time. And I swear to God, I think this was a 90 to 100 page screenplay and Zack Snyder loves his slow-mo. And so we get a two and a half hour film when you had a hundred minutes of footage. 
But it's just, again, logistically, you're trying to get out of there. Say I love you on the helicopter once you've got out of there. This is not the time for these deep, passionate character moments that are supposed to make us tear up as they die. And the actors are, are are fine, but they're not good enough to make this really hurt in the way that, that again, it's where an editor can say, okay, this scene's not working. We're going to cut it down. Like, this is where skillful trimming is going to take something that's kind of, like, dawdling and make it feel really exciting. They, they could get there, but, like, the editing choices. I don't think it's the slow-mo for me, Arnie. I think it's just the fact that he felt like all, the entire monologue had to be there. We couldn't cut any word from it. Because the fans would demand the Snyder Cut then. We gotta just put it all in here to avoid that controversy. You know, the Snyder Cut is the cut that's best, theoretically, right? I mean, any director's cut is the best cut. Right. But no director thinks every frame I shot is gold. Right. I mean, there's a reason you don't see much of Sean Young in Wall Street. Oliver Stone made a decision in editing. So you could have cut this entire bit with her. And if you're shooting a replacement character for every scene, just film a different death for her so you don't wonder what they were talking about and cut that romantic subplot and focus on Scott and Kate because that has more depth. Again, like I said, it's the Danny-Tess relationship here. And she snuck off. Well, yeah, what happened to Gita? Like, she, the only reason she came along was to rescue Gita. And, like, then it was like, now we're not even talking about Gita. And we have all this time of everyone sitting around waiting for the safe cracker to work. And now all of a sudden, maybe it's because she does know they only have 90 minutes until the bomb drops. She's like, I got to go get Gita. She's heard a rumor from the coyote that pe- when people are taken, they have a little bit of time up in a, like a hotel room in the Olympus. We, we didn't see that with Bert, though. Like, he got bit right away. But yeah, all of a sudden they have some cold storage where they keep some live humans for a few days until they get... They're not even getting hungry. I guess they're building their army of the dead because these alphas will just bite them and they don't eat them. Yeah, I have no idea what the army of the dead is. I honestly don't. There's no army. There, You could call this mercenaries of the dead. You could call it heist of the dead. There's so many things you could call this that would make more sense. If, unless you say that the zombies have organized into an army, which I'm just not seeing. Yeah, I, that, the idea, like many, undeveloped here. But she's needing a rescue. It's kind of like the Newt subplot in Alien. We had everything solved. We were ready to go. We've opened the vault. We they, There was a little bit of money. For some reason, Scott has a stack of, of cash. Yeah, all of a sudden there's a money counter and some loose cash before they even open the vault. But they have some money, but not the vault money. And Vander Rowe got locked in the vault. Uh, he was actually saved by the safe cracker that he was always trying to say, you know, you shouldn't be on this mission. He's rescued by him. Sacrificed, really. The safe cracker dies so that this guy can be in the vault. No one's getting that money. And so now they just need to run. I thought the safe cracker thought he could close the door and both of them could get in. That's kind of the performance I got. Yeah, I thought that was his plan. But he realizes, oh, crap, I can- I'm closing the door and I'm not able to get in. But at least Vanderhoe is in there. Meanwhile, I'm thinking that's a fate worse than a zombie bite. You're trapped, locked in a safe to suffocate or starve to death, you know? And a nuke is coming. You're going to be microwaved. I just felt like being locked in that safe was a horrible torture. I never suspected we'd see Vanderhoe come out. I thought if we saw Vanderhoe again, it would be to witness his slow, painful death. 
to be tabled. But right now, we're, we're watching all the other nameless people being killed. And Guzman, like, I, I kept waiting for him to do his trick shots or do something that justified him being on the mission. Do something on YouTube, dude. I'm waiting for it. That's your character, YouTube. So do it. Yeah, he just gets bit and decides. Suddenly, he just has grenades and kills himself. Like, very unsatisfying on that one. Yeah, the, the zombies have turned into literally parkour and free runners. Like, that's who they hired to play these zombies during this big casino shootout scene where they're taking everyone out. And they're- Which is cool. I don't have a problem with that. I like alphas as a concept. The way it's shot, I don't know. Things just seem herky and jerky all over the place. No, nothing ever feels natural. I like that the alpha comes in wearing a helmet. So when all the bullets go towards his head, they're ricocheting off. But it's only half a helmet. Like, just wait for him to do three quarters of a profile and then shoot the back of that head. Yeah, I suppose the back of the head, but he's always facing his enemy. And he and Vanderhoe threw down. Like, they went at each other. Vanderhoe looked muscular, and he wasn't prepared for the strength of the Alpha. That's when he got thrown into the safe because the Alpha was about to kill him. That was a good fight. I'm enjoying parts of this. I just wish I was having more fun, if that makes sense. I, I, it's fine fun. It's better than, you know, zombie strippers, but I just wish I was having more fun than this. Martin has betrayed them. Again, Shades of Aliens and Paul Reiser, where he's trying to get away with the head, but ah, she tricked him. The coyote actually switched it with the money counter, and he only escapes the casino to end up in the paws of our white tiger. Tiger had to kill somebody. Yeah, and you gotta have Martin die. We've been waiting for that. And I liked it. It was just like a cat to play with its food a little before it eats. I wasn't sure if you got bitten by a zombie tiger, if you got turned into a zombie, but the tiger takes care of that by eating his head. Is the idea that we're killing them all is that they were irredeemable, that these were a badass group of people, that we admired maybe their toughness, but on some level we felt like just morally they were not savable? No, I don't think so at all. I think we're supposed to feel bad that these heroes are going down. That's what happens in these films, and because it's super innovative and creative and new, it's going to happen just like all these other movies. Yeah, the coyote gets speared on the roof. Maybe she sacrificed herself, or maybe she just got stuck and they left her. I'm not sure. Sure. She was sacrificing herself, keeping the head hostage. I do like when she puts a gun to the head and she's just holding the head. They're tapping into those Greek gods. I got a real Medusa vibe when mm-hmm. she pulled that head out. That's a good point. Yeah. And the Alpha spears her to a wall, but he made a mistake. She's still able to drop that head off the building and splat. I kind of thought it might bounce. I wasn't sure what happens if you drop a zombie head from a height. Same thing as any other head. (laughs) But no, it splatted like a Gallagher watermelon. But Scott's got to go save Newt, uh, his daughter. And they got to have this whole diversion of we're going to the Olympus. And again, remember Gita. That was so important. I guess she's here. I don't even know how she dies. She gets all the way to the chopper and then we never... She dies in the chopper crash, yeah. We see no shot of her body. We see no acknowledgement of it. But, but we never see her. She died? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We never see her again once that chopper crashes. So it was all for nothing. Yep. All of this for nothing. And Stuart, you, you talk about aliens. They get up to the roof. They've saved Gita. The helicopter's not there. And then it's going to show up. Just didn't, didn't that happen in Aliens? Like, oh, it wasn't a stable platform, so I had to circle around, and I didn't really abandon you. Yeah, she thought that Lance Hendrickson, being an android, was going to leave her and yeah. things, and he did come back at the last second and save her. 
I don't know, like, again, this came up for me in Dawn of the Dead. I know that Zack Snyder loves this movie. I love that movie. I'm protective of all of its calculations and character beats and what have you. So, obviously, it's not as good as Aliens. I'm not resentful. I mean, I obviously, I recommended Dawn of the Dead. So, I I will forgive a movie that is copying another movie. Yeah, but this is his innovative, new, creative zombie take. Yeah, I'm I'm dropping all of that. Like, because Zack Snyder thinks he's innovative, I'm not going to red arrow this movie because he's pretentious uh, it's fine if this movie is carbon copy aliens it's just not very exciting no i guess my complaint more than the fact that i've seen this movie before is i'm feeling like i'm not getting a lot of tension in this it seems so easy they're like oh she's over here okay they go over there and they get her that's it and yet again that was for nothing of course Zack snyder did the same thing with the thin guy across the way they go to rescue him and he's zombied out and it's too late so a lot of the beats here that are being played feel like callbacks to Dawn of the Dead. And I do realize Dawn of the Dead is a fairly old movie now. You know, Zack Snyder made that, what was it, nearly 20 years ago. 15. And they're replaying some of those beats like trying to rescue the person who can't be rescued. They get in an elevator and it's playing, do you really want to hurt me? The same way in Dawn of the Dead, they got in the elevator and it was playing Richard Cheese down with the sickness. So it's going for the very same level of irony, similar opening credits. It almost feels like he's remaking himself, but going this time, I'm going to be unique and original and... It's not all that unique and original because you did it 15 years ago. And again, that's not my complaint. I didn't need this to be an elevation, although I do think the zombie genre needs elevating. I didn't look to Zack Snyder to be the one to do it. I didn't see him as the innovator in 2004. That was 28 days later. He has always been and will probably always be an imitator, but sometimes he imitates things well, and here I'm feeling, I don't know, you tell me, Arnie, you love Dawn of the Dead. Is any of this hitting that strata? All it's doing is reminding me of Dawn of the Dead, which is not a good thing, because that makes me just wish I was watching Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, I feel like that was a much better, cleaner, more fun, more exciting, just, it's achieving its popcorn aims so much more effortlessly than this movie and is it the bloat of the length i don't think that's it entirely no roger ebert said no good movie is long enough and no bad movie is short enough and i truly believe that if i get into a film it could be four hours it's it's going to be fun to be in that moment i mean Endgame. that's like a three-hour film and i think that one just breezes by it's so it's it's about the pacing the editing the just all that stuff is making it lag and and just go by slowly where i'm just con again there's 20 minutes till the bomb drops i look at the time on the movie there's 47 minutes left of the film <laughs> and you know comparing it to dawn of the dead I have to say that the human relationships worked better in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And I got better feeling for the passage of time in Dawn of the Dead, where these people were in the mall together a long time and formed relationships and had the birth of the baby and all of their different interactions and Ving Rhames is kind of lording over them all. That worked for me because I cared about these characters and not a single actor here is as good as Ving Rhames, let alone the rest of that cast. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think if you have a $90 million budget and this is what the film looks like, maybe spend a little less on CGI replacing an actor and spend a little more on getting better actors. Yeah, I do think that that is, yeah, it's not that they're bad actors. It's that I'm not seeing chemistry between them. Chemistry and star power. There's nobody here who's commanding the screen and saying, look at me 
and enjoying me. I like Bautista as an actor. I like Bautista as a person, but he is not suited to carry a film alone based on this. Yeah, I think, again, Peters, Dieter, Vanderhoe, like, they're fun characters, but yeah, a lead for this. A Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon, like, type lead. that They don't have that. So there are little side characters I'm enjoying, but there's no one that I feel, you know, side characters die. They're red shirts. Like, that's what I expect to happen to them. There's no lead that I, I actually care about making it through all this. It sure isn't Kate. Right, yeah. It should be Kate and her dad, and they have this ongoing dialogue about what food truck we're going to make. And again, I'm like, you guys weren't even speaking yesterday. Like, how is this a viable conflict for you? But it's supposed to be cute. And I tried to because I know that this is an important conflict for Zack Snyder and the loss of his daughter to try and put that to bed here. But it just didn't. As sad as his own personal story is, none of that comes across in the scenes in the movie. No, and look, the irony. The helicopter crashes, the nuke goes off, and Dave Bautista kills the Alpha, and that's a nice head pop. It was like, again, a popped water balloon or something, but he got bit. And now, even though Kate said, I'm not mad at you for killing my mom... I still think she was mad at him for killing her mom, but now the irony is she has to kill her dad for the exact same reason her dad had to kill her mom, so she's learning catharsis through murder. Yeah, remember in Shaun of the Dead, that goofy comedy parodying real zombie films, and then Shaun's got to like shoot his mom because she's been bit, and it all of a sudden becomes super emotional, and you get super invested, and you're like, man, I was just laughing, and now I'm almost crying because Shaun is so broken up over this moment moment never felt that once in this one yeah we we should be able to have those moments we should be able to be feeling those scenes even with these actors and i'm just not sure why it's not coming through but some beautiful shots i know jacob you've been piling on the look of this movie and i haven't enjoyed uh, the staging the composition always but when we get the nuclear explosion oh nuclear explosions are always fun yeah, maybe that's all. It's a it's an evergreen. I'll always enjoy that mushroom cloud. But there is some real amazing visuals here at the end. But it's not translating into the emotional storyline of a father reconnecting with his daughter. No, and and that's too bad. And I'm not feeling the tragedy that all of these people went on this Quixotic mission to. Get money, which, you know, greed is not a great motivator. Right. To reconnect with an old lover, to reconnect with a daughter, to steal a zombie head, to rescue Gita. Everybody fails in this movie. There's not a single person who walks out of this movie better off than they were. We're going to briefly think Vanderhoe did. Nobody walks away from this movie happy, which was something that happened again in Snyder's Dawn of the Dead as well. And it rarely does happen in a zombie movie that you have a happy ending. This is such a downer. And yet, I don't even feel down. I'm like, eh, this is an ending. I don't care. I do not care at the end of it. Like, the fact that Vanderhoe is going to crawl out of the rubble, I'm like, okay, well, he's dead from the radiation. This is ridiculous. This is not a win. I mean, I think that they said something about it being like a low-yield nuke. And so <laughs> I maybe- don't care. You're at ground zero for nuclear fallout. You're dead. <laughs> I don't care how weak the bomb was. You're dead. You're at ground zero. If you were in that vault, and that vault was that strong, I would say that with proper treatment, you might be able to survive the radiation poisoning. I mean, some people did survive from Chernobyl. It worked for Indiana Jones. Yeah, but we all hate that scene in Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was blown away from the blast while in a lead refrigerator. He didn't climb out where the radiation was. 
Yeah, I. You know what? I like if I liked Vandero, I would like this as a bit. The problem is I haven't felt anything about Vandero and didn't know what he wants and thought that his whole conflict of going back was ca- the catharsis you spoke of that they ended up giving to the daughter character. He was going to have to look at people in the face, zombies, and and see their humanity. And I don't know that any of that happened for him. Oh, it did. He he did look at a zombie in the face and see their humanity himself. It's very deep. You miss. You miss the the real elevated commentary going on here, Stuart. Because he's the Omega, and he sees yeah. his humanity. And the cycle's about to start again, like he talked about. It's very deep. Mm-hmm. And the, and what better way to soundtrack this moment than to play Zombie by the Cranberries? Yeah, go for the most <laughs> obvious song. No, no, no. That is not an obvious song, despite its title. I love that they used it, and I love that they used the performance from MTV Unplugged, and not the not the electric version. I, I was shocked it wasn't a cover because all the other like big pop songs in here seem to be cover versions of them. Snyder loves that. And you know what? I I loved the cover of the end. I hope there's a soundtrack to this. I thought that was a really good cover of The Doors. Oh, okay. I did not. <laughs> My point is that I don't really feel like they know where to take this. And so we just get the tease of a sequel. He's bringing infection to Mexico City. And I don't know that Mexico City is where I'd go to get the top radiation treatment, but okay. He wanted to go to Mexico City. Was he trying to flee Tanaka because he didn't give him the cut of the money? How much money could one person carry? Like you mentioned, Jacob, the 200 million is tons and tons of... 4,400 pounds. I, I did, looked it up. If they're all in $100 bills, that is. So yeah, it's how much did he really get away with? But I do like that he takes some guy's private plane and gets a couple of stewardesses to drink with them. I mean, money can do that. Yeah. It, again, if this were Brad Pitt or Matt Damon or something, a character I really enjoyed, there would be some satisfaction seeing him get away with it and then not quite but as it were it just feels like they weren't comfortable leaving it on that tragic note and maybe as you say arnie they're teasing a much bigger franchise with lots of sequels and this is how it starts but how much are you looking forward to the army of the dead universe jacob stewart do you recommend the alpha of this new media franchise Army of the Dead, Jacob. You know, I always try, no matter how many times I have problems with the film, I always try to find a positive and, and call it out because I don't think, well, maybe Mangler 3, but I don't think most films are 100% bad. And so, you know, the, the really positive thing I, I with Army of the Dead is seeing... Uh, my 10-year-old daughter, really into Tignataro now. <laughs> like, she wanted to watch her stand-up after this. She's like, she is hilarious. Go look up her Taylor Dane routine, if you remember that 80s pop <laughs> that star. It is a funny one. It, it is a hilarious story that Tig tells many times. But, so, there's my positive. Like, my daughter has a, a, a new stand-up that she loves. Uh, but, Stuart, you asked, pebbles or boulders? I, you know, th- there's a boulder, but it's not harming me. The boulder's taking out this movie, and that boulder is, I think, Zack Snyder. I mean, writer director, director of photography. He's, I, I'm surprised he doesn't have a starring role in this as well. He's, he's really going for that Tommy Wiseau energy here, <laughs> just taking Ouch. everything over. And look, this, this film, I went in fairly optimistic. I watched the trailer. I'm like, eh, it doesn't do a whole lot for me, but I like this idea. I like Ocean's Eleven mixing with zombies. It sounds like fun. And then I got the text from Arnie, guys, this movie's, this movie's two and a half hours. I'm like, ooh. 
Okay, so we're getting everything here. We're not going to have to review a Snyder Cut later because we're going to get everything. Okay, I'm still positive going in. And yeah, like I said, that that snowball, that, that, that's my metaphor for this. It, it just keeps rolling and things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. It's an ugly film. The, all those, yeah, the, the way this, maybe it's lack of money with that CGI, but all these composite shots, they don't work. I, again, loved that they used, they used a real horse and like put a zombie outfit on a horse. If you watch that behind the scenes stuff, like that, that's fun. And I love, you know, like, look, Hills Have Eyes too. I almost recommend it just because there's dirt bikes in it. Like they're, they're, you, you hit a very specific thing for me. You got my attention. And the fact that this thing had zombie horses and tigers and zombie Kings. And I'm like, Ooh, it's falling flat because it, it looks bad. These characters I'm not interested in. It's, it's not giving me anything I haven't seen in a zombie film before. I, I've seen all this stuff. It's not giving me a good heist movie. You know, I almost had a watch party while doing this uh, unintentionally. I have a friend who lives on the East coast and he texts me. He's like, Hey, have you heard about this new Snyder film army of the dead? I'm watching it right now. I'm like, yeah, I actually have to watch it. I'm probably going to start in about an hour. He's like, all right, let me, let me, let me know when you're getting into it. And like, as soon as like I got to an issue, I text, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And he just starts unloading. We just started going back and forth. Like there's really Michael Bay level issues here with, with the storytelling, just so many inconsistencies and, and just stupid things that go on. Uh, no, this, this is a bad film. And, and the fact that Stuart, yeah, I'm not holding all of Snyder's words about being innovative against this film because I watched this film first. I didn't know what his words were, but watching that making of documentary, his words were like a garbage cherry on this garbage ice cream sundae that I'm being fed here with Army of the Dead. It, it is not good, people. Again, if you like those Transformers films, maybe you'll, you'll just enjoy two and a half hours of things shooting and blowing up. I need story. I need characters or I need at least some good laughs and I don't get a whole lot of laughs. I thought again, why have a heist film in Vegas with zombies? Because you're going to have all those fun Vegas things going on. And all you give me was one uh, Siegfried and Roy tiger, basically not enough. Do better, Zach. Not recommend strong. Not recommend. If you can't tell that not a good film. Don't waste your time with this one. Stuart. Everything is a little more qualified for me. I feel, I hear your complaints and I agree with many of them, but I don't know. Like, I feel like the premise was fun and I sat down with this and I was like, okay, two and a half hours of, a, I mean, how long are Ocean's Eleven movies? I looked it all up. They're all about two hours. I'm like, okay, you throw in some zombies, two hours and a half. That seems about right. But it's kind of like Kate's problem with Batista. It's like you your time management is wrong. I, I don't mind what you did, but but you didn't you weren't here for me. You did let all of this do on autopilot. And I feel like the strange thing about this bloated movie is that like there are just so many scenes that go on and on and on rather than move into new I and, and creative ideas. And so I like many of the concepts. Again, zombie white tiger, that's a lot of fun. And many times I'm with the pulpy, easy demand of this movie. I was for it. I guess what I'm saying is I was thinking that like I wasn't going to like this, sat down and I'm like, well, maybe this is just exactly meeting me at its happy hour, get a cocktail. I can enjoy this. I think it ultimately comes down to do you like playing penny slots? You know, you're not going to win much 
from playing this. You're going to spend time doing an activity that isn't very strenuous, but you're not going to get rich off of it, and you're not going to remember doing it. And I would say this. It's a mediocre zombie movie. It's a terrible heist movie. What my frustration really is, is how little he understood and appreciated the intricacies of how hard it is to crack a safe. Like, this movie should have had nine different reasons why they needed all these people to come and and in the middle of a zombie plague get to the the heart of vegas and get that money and they just again that it was an afterthought that Zack snyder had to say oh yeah some german comes in and makes love to four you know lock combinations and and there it is that's that's your heist movie that really does burn me up and so i'm on the fence here of saying well it's not Zombieland, and it's not Zombieland 2. I think it's a little bit more creative than that. So that's really right there on the line. It's like, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Do you want to hang out in a Kino lounge? Do you want to just kind of half watch something, smiling occasionally? That was my reaction to this movie. I, I don't know. I, I think in the end, when all else fails, I say mediocrity is not a recommend. There's not enough here that's good for me to say green arrow so i guess it's a mild knot and i think Stuart and i saw the same film this time because watching it i smiled sometimes i smiled at liberace and richard cheese doing the opening credits and the showgirls the opening credits again my favorite part of this movie i smiled at the fact that the tiger literally was siegfried and roy's tiger i thought that was funny i had a lot of fun in parts of this movie. And then the characters talked. <laughs> it just <laughs> went downhill from there. And I need to stress, I don't know most of these actors, which, you know, that means I'm not coming in already pro for them because I can't bring in presumed empathy for the characters, except for Bautista. But I'm also not bringing in any negative things from previous films they've done I haven't liked. And so I'm ambivalent and they have a chance to prove themselves to me here so that when I see them next time I'll be like oh yeah they were really good in Army of the Dead but not a single person not a one Mm -mm. is really good in Army of the Dead and yeah I mean that's not saying they're bad but I'm saying that they didn't excel none of them captivated the screen there wasn't a single character that I went I like that guy. And Dawn of the Dead had like four of them. Ving Rhames and the dad from Modern Family and Mackay Pfeiffer. I mean, there were characters there I really liked. And here, there's none. And Dave Bautista, I've seen him do good in more than the Guardians movies. I have seen, again, I hold on to my spy as very fun change up. <laughs> never seeing it. You'll never convince me to watch it. But I'm glad he's good. It is yet another kid and old person movie, but it's not like it's just another one of those where it brings nothing to that genre. I think it has some change-up moments. So I came in thinking, yeah, Dave Bautista in a zombie film. And I walked out going, hmm, Dave Bautista in a zombie film. Maybe he should continue to work out a little more so he can be shirtless in Guardians. So the characters didn't do it for me. I laughed at some of the jokes, and then it comes down to the script and the fact that every single subplot is blue-balling. Gita 
We spent so much time setting up Gita. We spent no time with Gita and seeing where she was while she was captive. <laughs> no, it's painful. Yeah, and she dies in a helicopter crash. We will that the one body we don't see. We see everyone else's body but hers. We don't even know she's dead. You're presuming her death. It matters so little what happened to her. We don't even get a final shot. Yeah, which is why I thought she lived. <laughs> And you guys telling me she died. I'm like, God, they didn't even save Gita. They did They did nothing. But yet- That should be the name of this movie, Saving Gita. It's as relevant as an army of the dead. Yeah, they didn't even save Gita. And they didn't. They weren't bad people who I wanted to see die. This wasn't things to do in Denver when you're dead. You know, this wasn't the usual suspects. It wasn't one of those movies where a lot of bad people who you like to watch get picked off one by one. So because of that, yeah, it's a not recommend, but it's a weaker not recommend. I've seen far worse zombie movies. We've reviewed far worse zombie movies. I'd say this is along the line of Land of the Dead, not Survival of the Dead. Sure, those are Romero ones, but most of those zombies rave to the grave. Like, this has a more competent crew. Like, this should have higher expectations. You should hold it to a higher standard, and it fails at that. Yeah, for a lo- I really wanted to do this movie a lot of favors, and I really thought I could carry it over the line, but when you ask yourself, You tried! You were really trying, Stuart. I, I really was. <laughs> I mean, because, again, how, how satisfying, just as a high concept, Ocean's Eleven meets yeah. Night of the Living Dead. That, just pl- that in of itself... I'm there. I'm I'm satisfied. I'm already got a buzz going. But when you ask yourself what you really liked about it, I there's there's very the tiger that it really comes down to a couple yep. tiger shots. <laughs> Absolutely. But there's more coming, and uh, I don't know if we'll be covering all of it. But uh, Army of Thieves is kind of like well, you remember how From Dust Till Dawn started as a gangster movie and then became a vampire thing. This is going in the reverse thing. We are going from zombies, and now we're going to get a prequel with Geeter the Safecracker working in Europe in a movie that doesn't sound like it has any zombies at all and is directed by the actor that played Dieter. A huge German star, supposedly. Like, that's what IMDb is telling me. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe there's a lot of talent we just don't know about here in America. I'd be more excited if it was Dieter Laser and not the character Ludwig Dieter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of ambivalent about this Dieter character. Like, I was with every character. You know, hopefully he does have some star power that needs to shine. The fact that Zack Snyder is producing it and letting him do his thing, I imagine we'll get a lot more of his talent if there is talent there. We'll be able to see it more in Army of Thieves whenever Netflix decides it's ready to come out there. I imagine sometime at the end of the year. Yeah, they say 2021, so... And who knows when Zack Snyder will be back for another main movie in the franchise. You know, they've set up the sequel in Mexico City. But he's directing two episodes of Army of the Dead Lost Vegas, which is going to explain that opening credits. We've already talked about it. He likes animation. He did that owl shit, so... We do not cover animated TV series, even if they're miniseries. So that is not in Now Playing's purview. Bautista's coming back. All the actors... are coming back to give the voice and Christian Slater too? Can Christian Slater hook you, Arnie? Will you at least watch the show? Oh, you got me with Christian Slater, damn it. (laughs) I figured that might be a moment of pause. I think that's the only reason you watched Mr. Robot too. (laughs) Yeah, but Mr. Robot was really good. I came for Christian Slater. I I stayed for Rami Malek. (laughs) So, 
Mm-hmm. You know what it comes down to? The animation style. If they go hardcore yeah. anime, like some of those Animatrix things, I'm out. If it looks like Aeon Flux, I'm out. Oh, that's the only way I'm in if it's super stylized. See, if it looks more like Voltron and more realistic, uh, you know, I'm loving Invincible <laughs> right now on Amazon. You know, there are cartoon series I like. If it looked kind of like that where it wasn't over stylized, then I would watch. We will see. It seems to me maybe that this should have been just an animated thing and like maybe this will be the better version we're going to get this story that i wanted with rescuing the secretary of defense and watching the fall of vegas i it might be the best thing about it but i'm not eager i'll put it that way i got too many other things to watch like stephen king movies that's where we're headed to next dolores claiborne the other half of the eclipse storyline that we started with gerald's game we're now going to find out what was happening with kathy bates a movie that came out 25 years before they made Gerald's Game. So there is not a actor crossover. You won't see any characters like the tall guy, the tall pale guy from the game in Dolores Claiborne. But wouldn't it be cool if you did? <laughs> maybe maybe they can have Zack Snyder CGI some in and some great new re-edit. But we're not going to cover that. We're going to cover that. Next week, next Tuesday, and this Friday, we're uh, with David Fincher again, hiding out in the panic room with Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart. Because, you know, Dwight Yoakam comes in your house and you gotta hide. (laughs) It's always exciting when Dwight Yoakam shows up in a movie for me. Well, that will be this Friday for our gold, platinum, need for speed, M. Night, Blue, or binge and purging level donors. You can get so many bonus podcasts. You know, the dog days of summer are upon us. School's out. Colleges are out. It's time to find something to fill your free hours or while mowing the lawn, something to listen to. You can get dozens of bonus podcasts right now at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You become a patron and depending on your level of patronage, $25 will get you all of the Fincher shows. They're coming out once a week. This is our third coming out. You can get all of those, plus all of our patron-exclusive reviews and so much more. Again, nowplayingpatron.com or nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you for joining us this week. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And thanks for listening to Now Playing, the podcast that's in your head in your head now playing now playing now playing 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 us it could be us in another timeline and we're caught in some infinite loop of fighting and dying fighting and dying fighting and dying and tanaka puppet master devil god and we you me goose and the rest of the team simply pawns in some perverse play where we're destined to repeat our failures. And finally, 
witness a mind-bending, ironic reveal. It all begins again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh, come on, Goose. It was just getting fun. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You ready to play? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Make sure to like and subscribe. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. We need to go back. They need our help. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Yeah, you take that. You're gonna make it right. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Whatever you do with this money, I know will be the right thing. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Where's the money? There is no money. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. You heard what they said. We need to move out. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Do this one thing, and I can give you $15 million. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Listen, I hate my life so deeply. If I had $2 million, my life would change drastically. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Associate produced by Jason Latham. The team is big Trust enough. me, we need another person. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Like a surgeon or a painter. His masterpiece rendered in barely audible clicks. Now playing credits read by Brock. What? Were you saying something to me? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I don't trust any of these people, but especially you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You are in trouble now, mister. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Say who the hell do I gotta kill? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Okay, we need to go right now. In order to find and rescue her friend Greta, who'd been lost in Vegas.
On the way to the vault, several team members die. I think I think it's I think it's Gita. Yeah, it's no R. I kept writing it down with an R, but it's that's wrong. Okay, it's not yeah. Greedo's it's girlfriend. Not, it's not Greedo. No, I kept putting Greedo. I don't know, Greedo or Gita. Neither sounds like a name to me. YouTube has it as Greedo, so I went, or not YouTube, uh, the the uh, wiki has it as Greedo, so I went with that, but I can say Gita. Oh, all, all the subtitles said Gita. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's, I've, I've known a Gita, and I've never known a Greedo. Oh, okay. Other than outside Walmart. <laughs> Now you're speaking my mother's language. It's a Greta. <laughs> we spend all this time with Gita in the beginning for nothing. Cut it out. Oh, wait, I did a fucking Dave Coulier. <laughs> Cut this all, scene. All right, Dave Coulier. <laughs> now playing, playing, playing. Now that's going to be in my head. <laughs> <laughs> for real. I dare you to sing Linger. <laughs> Give me a sec. No, I'm out of here. We do not need the Cranberries cover album from Arnie.